0: all right what's up people it's your boy jason Muse, a.k.a the black muse and welcome back to another episode of the black muse podcast uh i am not doing a solo dolo this time i will probably later but i got a guest and uh i'm excited because this is a person i've been trying to get uh, to come through on the podcast for a while uh uh as a lot of uh, as is true of a lot of my other guests this is somebody that i met on the social media excuse me the social audio app called clubhouse uh it is a man uh, by the name, and this is actually his real name, bro. Bro, Yo, welcome up, to the podcast. How you doing, man? How you living? How you feeling? I'm good, man. Feeling good. Um, feeling good. So the first thing I gotta ask you is, is your real name, bro? That's my real name, man. Everybody, not like an alias. Fails.
1: No, it's literally on my driver's license, bro.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have a summer name i bruh <laughs> 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 like is that, like bruh like who's talking who's not calling my name like bruh nah I'm just playing it's but, hilarious. Um, it, it
1: never fails I meet people that's is the it, first question Is like what's your role I don't name? think I've ever
0: I don't think I've ever <laughs> met a person named named bro before is that, is that is that I assume it's uncommon but I'm gonna ask is that is yeah, that common sure. is, is, is it's uncommon
1: no, it's totally uncommon. I, I only know okay. one other person in the world called Bro. Okay, um, and it happens you... to be my cousin.
0: <laughs> oh my god, the only two only two motherfuckers named Bro are related. <laughs> Hell no, nah, that's Bro. What? <laughs> yeah, I didn't see that like coming. Distant um,
1: cousin, but yeah,
0: not distant enough. If y'all related, in your both named Bro. Yeah, bro, I'm some right. I don't know. So, um. Let's uh, so t- tell tell the audience where we know each other from.
1: Yeah, so we actually met on Clubhouse, um, probably like a year ago or so, maybe a little over a year ago, and um, yeah, we just ended up in, in. I don't know if we met in your room or if we met in some random room and then we collaborated uh ended up in your room where you ended up in, I, don't, I don't remember how it happened everything tends to be a blur on this all clubhouse but um <laughs> yeah we just uh we met on clubhouse uh start having conversations centering on various topics everything from race to the the whole trans movement to all this other stuff that's going on in society today yeah. and um, one of the conversations we've had is about like disparate impacts, reparations, all this other stuff. So mm-hmm. today is another topic.
0: Don't get ahead of it. Don't bury the lead. Don't do that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, we did. So for those who, who don't already know, so Clubhouse is the name of a social audio app and um, it allows you to create what are called rooms, not actual literal rooms, but they're like social or virtual rooms. And you go in there and you have like a little picture for your profile and you can have conversations with people um almost like a conference call or a web call um and they have clubs and the clubs are usually thematic in nature so like you can have a club that's dedicated to all like you know laker fandom you have other clubs dedicated to discussing politics you have clubs dedicated to talking about fashion and all that kind of stuff Um, and so that's what he means by uh we met in my room he didn't mean that literally. I don't want people to think that he came <laughs> physically into my, into my actual room. It's like I don't know what kind of like social thing they talk about, but like he they met in some kind of a house, and he went into his room. It was weird. It was awkward. And They had
1: weird conversations. They had they, they had conversations
0: <laughs> with some trans people. I heard. I don't know what he, I don't know what's going on. I heard Jason lives in San Francisco. It's wild. But no, but yeah, like so, so social. But the thing is, Clubhouse it, because uh, it caters to people talking. The, the main modality is you you talk, you use your voice, and that's that's different from tweets and Facebook posts and things like that. And so, you know, if you're a talker like me, uh, that's something that you gravitate towards. And the reason why I even got into doing this podcast because a lot of people are, are that are on there are content creators and podcasters and stuff like that, and so they. They started saying, you know, maybe you ever thought about doing a podcast? I'm like, no, nah, I'm not here for that. I'm here because I'm stuck in my house because of COVID and I'm bored. And I just want to talk to people. That's that's really where how it started. And so now I'm doing a whole podcast. I like it. It's fun. Um, and now I'm leveraging kind of the relationships that i built with people on Clubhouse to have them as guests. So that's how you're here. That's one of the reasons why you're here. Um, last thing I'm going to say before we get into the subject proper is um, where are you originally from? Cause i was originally be from Kenya. Did Chicago. you grow up there? Or did yeah. you you immigrate when you were young? I was 12. So, okay, so then you, you, um, remember, you remember moving, so right? So I
1: remember everything. I'm, I'm trilingual, so I remember all my languages. Um, and 12 is an interesting age because you, you get to remember everything, but you also are able to adapt at such a high rate versus someone who comes in at 15, 16 years old.
0: So did you learn English? Did you learn English in Kenya? I did. Is, uh, is that one of the, what are the official languages in Kenya? So English is the
1: official language of the country. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't want to say that and be wrong, but I felt like I heard that
0: before.
1: Yeah. So we were a British colony. We got independence in 63 and upon independence, English became the official language of the country. So any like business organization, um, it's the official business language, official language in the country, the national language though is swahili right so you that's speak- what unifies everyone regardless of tribe so i speak that every kenyan speaks that and then you have um tribal languages you have like 42 tribes in the country a little bit over 60 languages throughout the entire country so but everyone speaks swahili and then everyone has their own you know tribal language so mine is Kikuyu.
0: Do you know? to know This is random. Just, just my mind just made this connection. It has nothing to do with you. Do you happen to know if Barack Obama can speak Swahili? Because I think he's he was born in Kenya, but I think he moved. I'm hundred percent certain he can't. He can't or he can't. No, no, cannot. Okay, because yeah. he moved so so young.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, the the thing is, is that if you if you move when you're young, especially if you move after 12 years old. The likelihood of you being able to keep your language is dramatically lowered. Yeah, so, makes sense. Seeing that Barack Obama didn't spend majority of his childhood in Kenya. Um he just goes to show, unless he had like someone to speak Swahili to him every single day, wherever he moved to, whether it's
0: Hawaii, when he moved or, to Hawaii. Yeah, like right, most so. of those formative years. Okay. I was just this is a rat my brain just made that connection. It was just random. Um, it doesn't have much to do with it, about anything. <laughs> I am just curious. Yeah, like, do you have? Do you keep tabs on every Kenyan that has ever existed everywhere? <laughs> yeah, some people crazy like that. Like I have a friend. Um, his name is so and so. Do you know him? I'm like, no, um, not. Nah. <laughs> why, why the fuck would I know him, bro? You know, how big Kenya is. How big is Kenya, by the way?
1: Kenya is a, a little bit bigger than Texas, so okay. it's yeah, it's a uh it's sizable. It's about 45, is- 52 million people
0: second or third biggest state. Alaska's the biggest. I can't remember if Texas is bigger than California, though. I think California is the second biggest and Texas is the third biggest in the United States. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Could be Alaska's wrong. number one, yeah. Yeah, I know Alaska's one, but California's either two or three. I, and I always forget which one is, is, is between Texas and Cali, the next two. But anyway, yeah. all right. So let's get into the subject proper. So, <coughs> and actually, bro and I have had this 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 exact argument, debate back and forth this topic several times on clubhouse and the last time i was really annoyed with you because i i you were you were acting like you had never heard these things before and i was just like bro like we've had this discussion (laughs) before stop pretending like you ain't never heard this shit but the subject proper that we're going to discuss is uh whether or not there is uh ongoing anti-black systemic racism currently in the united states in 2022 what is the extent of it? If there is such a thing, what does it look like, et cetera? My contention is going to be that there is such a thing. Um, and that the leftists who talk about forms of systemic racism or oppression that negatively impact black people are not making it up. I presume, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that bro, you're going to take the opposite of, uh, uh, of that, but what what is your stance before we begin?
1: Yeah, my stance is that in the United States right now, um, uh, what people refer to as systemic racism um, is, if it does exist, is on life support. It is at such an inconsequential level that it doesn't determine people's, in terms of general categories, um, it doesn't determine their success or failure. So I don't think that systemic racism, as, as it pertains to being anti black, you know, so against black people, I don't think that exists today in America. Um, if you look at virtually every major category in the country um, and, and the way people do it is they, they look at disparate impact. there is no category where a majority of people, black people specifically are negatively impacted due to the American system um, You may find one or two but you will find that the causal factors of those things are personal, life choices not systemic codified laws so to me you know if we look at the different systems that exist in america or the different conditions that black people in america are living through you will find the majority of them are actually doing just fine if not excelling
0: what what, what do you mean just fine like they're not starving so, to death and so-, so
1: so you'll hear yeah so you'll hear people say that black people are you know Black, you know, they, they look at the disparity of um, income or wealth between black people and white people and they say, well, you know, black people are X amount as much to be poor or X amount as much to be uh, uh, not wealthy as white people or black people make X amount to their white counterpart. And what I'm saying is that if American system is quote, quote unquote systemically racist as it pertains to like income, then we would see that majority of black people would in fact be poor. But what we actually see is the reverse. Majority of black people in this country don't live in poverty. Majority of black people in this country don't live in the ghettos. Majority of black people in this country are not just getting by, okay? Majority of black people live in suburbs. Majority of black people, actually black people have a higher per capita income than Hispanics, you know? They do have a lower per capita income uh, or lower household income than Hispanics. But that's because again, lifestyle, personal choices, Hispanic people tend to have more people per household. So they have a greater household income. So, you know, if America's failing black people, then why is it that most black people are falling through the cracks?
0: Most black people are falling through the cracks or are not.
1: So if I'm, if the American system is systemically racist against black people, right, think of it like this. If you build a company, let's say a, a car company. Mm -hmm. If majority of the cars that go through the assembly line are faulty and they're getting recalled for all sorts of stuff, then you Mm -hmm. have an unsuccessful car company, correct? Because it's like majority of your product is failing. So that's an unsuccessful venture. Uh, Same thing with every other category. If you build a school, majority of people don't graduate. It's an unsuccessful school, okay? Because it's not Mm -hmm. bringing out positive outcomes for majority of people um, who go through it. So the same thing applies to the American system when it comes to poverty. We know that majority of black people aren't poor, which means that majority of black people have figured out not to be poor, how not
0: to be poor, Um, regardless of whatever the system you may be. What percentage of black people in America do you think live below the poverty line? Uh, I believe the number is 19.5.
1: So it's sub 20%.
0: I'm looking at right now 19.5% as of 2021. So just under 20%, but black people are only 13% of the population. Yep. Right. So they're disproportionately high by comparison to their percent of the population.
1: But that means nothing though. You know. Well, so, it means
0: something. It's one way to get at the 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 disparate It
1: doesn't mean anything. The reason why it means nothing is because simply because you you don't just juxtapose things based on percentage of population like what if black people for example had no interest in playing hockey would we say that they're disparately impacted you know they're Mm -hmm. systemically oppressed from playing hockey because they make up a very small percentage of the hockey players no we just say well first we haven't accounted for interest how many black people want to play hockey Right, so just because well, you oh, show what, up, what
0: black, what percentage of the black population is not interested in living above the poverty line? I would
1: venture, I would venture to say that no one is interested in living uh, below the poverty line. But that doesn't Fair mean no. well, that people. Okay.
0: you you answered my question, but accidentally. So what I, the way I asked it was, what percentage of black people do you think are are not interested in living above the poverty line? But you you answered my question, but the the but the the only point I was making was. We don't really need to adjust for interest because intuitively, like anybody who's sane does not want to live in poverty. Right now, you have you may have mm-hmm. people who may ex- passively accept living in poverty because they've given up on their prospects of changing that. But I, I, I think if you gave everybody a choice <laughs> between, hey, you could be broke or you can like not be broke. I feel like the vast majority of black people will be like, well, I'm going to choose to not be broke. <laughs> right. Yeah, but like, life isn't, a, we agree on that. Like,
1: yeah. But life doesn't just hand you a choice. Like, do you want to be rich or poor? Like if that was the choice and it was just automatic based on your decision, then yeah, we wouldn't be here debating about, you know, why people are poor or why people are rich. It would be just like, well, some people chose to be poor. Some people chose to be rich, you know, but the, 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 the the reason these realities exist is because something happens after the choice. So there's interest, but well, just because okay, there's interest only, doesn't mean.
0: The only point I was making is it 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 is it kind of undermines your analogy because you were trying to say that like in other domains where we account mm-hmm. for things like interest, right? Like hockey for example. If, if we notice that that black people are disproportionately like like uh you know they're they're disproportionately less likely to go into i guess hockey but the reason the primary reason for that is because they're not interested in going into hockey then we wouldn't say that that was necessarily like an, an example of systemic racism and i actually agree with that but what i was trying to point out was that kind of explanation would not analogously apply to poverty because we don't have a bunch of black people who are interested in becoming impoverished or who are not interested in in being able being able to make ends meet right so that's what i'm saying it's awkward about that comparison
1: yeah i would say that some people are actually interested in maintaining their poverty as as controversial as that might be um the 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 reality is that it is a hot take but but here's the thing right we know that some people in society Regardless of how great society we create, there's always going to be people who make bad, horrible decisions for themselves. Okay? It's not that they're... And these are not like, you know, mentally disabled people who can't make better decisions. These are people who are functional enough to make choice A, which would be positive for their life, versus choice B, which would be detrimental to their life. Yet they choose choice B. Regardless of whatever environmental circumstances that there may be, their choices are still being made so to me and that doesn't assume that other people in other realms don't have environmental factors that you know inform their decisions as well so my example as it pertains to interest is that there are some people who simply aren't interested in becoming uh wealthier than the next guy some people are complacent at the middle class some people are complacent at slightly below middle class some people are complacent at you know just higher middle class Some people are never complacent, you know? So there's, there's different classes of people with different interests. And it is a difficult thing, I will admit, to kind of gauge the interest, (laughs) the interest rates of different groups of people. But one of the metrics we can use is looking at the choices that they make as it pertains to what brings about the incomes that they would generate. So fields of study is one. So, okay. What fields of study do Black people predominantly go into versus their other racial counterparts? And that kind of informs us on what kind of fields that they will end up in and what incomes are warranted by the fields that they do end up in. And then we can backtrace and see, well, okay, Black people are saying that they're making X amount as college graduates, but have we accounted for the different majors that they went into versus their other counterparts? So...
0: I mean so i think the ultimate point that you're trying to make to be fair to you is that we need to account for different factors in order yeah. to be able to tell whether or not one of the biggest contributing factors was uh i guess systemic racism or, or racial prejudice generally um although those are those are going to end up being distinct things when I when i end up defining them later to be fair but um here, here's what i want to start because this is something that I just looked up while you were you, you were speaking. Yeah. So this is from uh, KFF, and mm-hmm. these uh this this the most recent data that they have is a uh, 2019, so it's three years old. Um, yeah. but this is poverty by race. Okay. So in the United States, um, those who are living in poverty who are white is just nine percent of the population. Uh, it's 21.2 percent of the black population, 17.2 percent of the Hispanic population. 97 Asian, Native, Hawaiian, Pacific Islander. 14.9% are multiracial, right? And then the, the overall total, the baseline for the entire United States is uh, for all racial, because 12.3% is living below the poverty line. Yet white people make up something like 60% of the population, black people 13. I forget exactly what Hispanic was. Um, 17%. I got to look that. Up. Almost 18 right now. Okay, well, I'll we'll take your word for it. I don't know. Asian Pacific is, but I think it's like really small, uh, like 4% yeah. or something. So the reason why they use those baselines of the percent of the population is because if it were truly random and it was not impacted by uh, race at all, you would expect it to reflect the percentage, or, or, or at the very least to be equal to what it is uh, across the board for all racial groups. So it'll be right around here. 12.3%. Um so who
1: maximum. uses it? You said the the reason why they use uh percentage the, of population. Where are the, they using as a it? Benchmark? As
0: a benchmark? It's a yeah. common it's a common it's a common thing to use in just statistical analyses generally. That's a common That's one of the most common benchmarks that people use when it comes I know to it's a common thing that people use. Trends. Yeah, I know it's a common but thing. I'm not just talking about random people benchmark. though. I mean like scholars, I mean like people who like actually do demographic data on a regular basis and very, for various different reasons, but they break down various different domains of society in terms of racial demographics and other demographics as well.
1: Yeah, the, but the problem is, and that's the reason why I interjected and said, it means nothing is because you can have a, a group of people that makes up the majority being a minority of a whole category or non-existent. You know, but it, it shows zero discrimination in that field. For example, you can have... Okay, well then,
0: wait, 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 but just before you... So then then what would be the explanation for why white people are the least likely statistically to be impotent? Okay. Yeah, so... Because it's not going to be interests.
1: Well, that's part of it. Go ahead. Yeah. So we have to, we have to look at, no, yeah. no, wait, wait, we have wait, to look at, we've the, already
0: established that interests are not part of it because nobody's interested in being living in poverty. No, 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 it's no, like no, no, Like very, very so rare. That's not the interest we're talking about. We're talking about
1: the interest in terms of the decisions that people make. So everyone is interested in becoming rich, but how many people do what it takes to become rich? Everyone's interested in owning a business, you know, or interested in, in having a great family, but how many people end up having great families? so simply because you want a particular outcome doesn't mean that you will get a particular outcome you know there are other variables i think I get that but that doesn't
0: explain the that doesn't explain the racial disparities in the outcome of not living in poverty though right cuz cuz what you're implying is that the reason why black people and hispanic people are statistically way more likely than by by comparison to their white counterparts to live in poverty is because they're not doing the right things that they need yeah. to do like that's that's what you're implying, and that, what that's what I'm saying. What I'm fundamentally going to argue against is that, because that doesn't seem to make sense either. <laughs> yeah. There are black people and there are Hispanic people, to be fair, who make poor decisions and that that negatively impacts their life prospects. Mm-hmm. But like, to what I think you're about to commit the mistake of doing is is blaming all of the. Uh, instances in our society where black and Hispanic people are living in poverty on choices that they've made when and not taking into account all of the things that had nothing to do with their choices that negatively impacted their life prospects. So, for example, just as an anecdotal example, right, like being born and into and living in certain neighborhoods in the country can negatively impact your life prospects Mm -hmm. because they're connected with a scarcity of of resources that are vital for you to be able to make it. Okay. Like educational resources, like your ability to like have three square meals a day and all of the other things that come with living in conditions of poverty, whether you're, the streets that you live on are unsafe, etc., right? Okay. Like those are not the those uh, people being born into those situations are not the are not the actions of their choices. Now they may they may be the confluence of choices other people made like their parents, but that's not like the that's not the direct product or consequence of their own choices and i can't and if i'm born into a situation like that there's nothing that i decided that made my parents make the amount of money that they make there's nothing that i decided that that makes it whether that determines whether or not my the, the the street i live on or the neighborhood i live in is riddled with gangs and drugs and things like that there's nothing about the choices that i made that made the conditions in which i live that impact my reality and impact my life prospects they impact what i what i learn what i pick up they impact uh, my conception of myself they impact um they impact me in terms of like creating temptations to fall into the quote unquote traps or poor decisions that you're talking about um all of that stuff they impact me in so many ways that it would be it would be weird to blame that on my choices
1: yeah, so I'm not I'm not blaming uh everything on the on the choices of that individual and in their particular circumstance. What I am blaming is personal choices in general. What we're arguing is whether systemic racism is what's causing these outcomes and you gave an example of poverty being the causal factor, you know, which leads to poor resources that lead to poor outcomes, right? For people. So the argument is not Oh, the reason why they have these poor outcomes is because they're black. The outcome, the, the the argument is, oh, they have these poor outcomes because they were poor. Because then and if that's the argument, then it's like, okay, well, if Hispanic people who are poor, or Asian people who are poor, or white people who are also poor uh, would have similar outcomes in their demographics in terms of their outcomes. And what we see is that there's there's a disparity in in life choices. Even amongst poor people. So for example, you look at New York City and a quarter of all the Asians, uh, specifically Chinese Americans who live in New York City live below the poverty line, a quarter of them. okay? It is a higher percentage than black people poverty rate in New York City. Yet mm-hmm. the violent crime of black people in New York City is dramatically higher than that of Asian Americans in New York City. So the, the inference that we just have bad outcomes because people are poor also doesn't hold weight across the board. There are choices that people, there's well, that, It's a culture. Yeah, right. But, but your argument is that, you know, hey, we can look at neighborhoods in the United States, like poor neighborhoods, and they have like poor, bad, you know, worse schools. They don't have as much resources, which means the kids are disproportionately affected because of like poor talent and in, in, in teacher selection and all this stuff. Right. And then you have these bad outcomes, mm-hmm. which I can agree. Yes. You, you do have worse outcomes when you have uh, pr- on a general scale, you tend to have worse outcomes when you have worse resources. Right. Mm-hmm. But what I'm also mm-hmm. arguing is that my whole argument is we have to look deeper. We, we just have a, it's almost like a knee-jerk reaction the moment we see a, a disparate impact among racial lines and we jump to racism as being the first thing we're going to jump to as it being the causal factor and all i'm saying is that in order for you to make that argument you have to provide hard evidence that that is the case and you have to account for all the other variables
0: Okay, fair enough, but I am I am in the process of methodically pointing out all, or or establishing that 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 evidence. I haven't gotten to my definitions yet because I keep trying to present my facts kind of uh, in correspondence to things that you're saying. So they're not they're not necessarily in the in the order I would have picked, but I think this is a better way to do it and still um, keep a certain amount of fidelity to the natural organic conversation. So, one of the things yeah. that I want to present to respond to what you what you just said. As um, you just evoked the idea um, that poverty was the cause of these bad outcomes, not systemic racism, and one of, one of the things that I'm going to do in this phase of the conversation is I'm going to begin a process that I anticipate is going to be a long one because I feel like you're going to fight me every step of the way, like you usually do, uh, of trying to get you to see that all of the things that you are already admitting. Are contributing factors to ne- to these negative outcomes are precisely what people are talking about when they talk about systemic or structural racism that's what they mean so so they're okay. talking because these things are built into the structures or the systems in our society right so like Scarcity of resources, uh, 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 dilapidated uh, housing, which, which from which you, co- you you collect less taxes, which means you have less of a pool to fund schools, uh, which means you have you, th- these schools tend to be less attractive to the most um, formidable teach- teachers and administrators, et cetera. All of these things work together systemically. And they're built right into the structure of our society now we're talking about a lot of localized things but we could actually if we wanted to expand this out to less local things and more broad things statewide federal etc right like these are the things that contribute to the conditions under which people live that contribute to the menu of options that they have to even choose from in the first place and then to demonize them for making bad choices when a lot of the choices that they have to choose from were all fucked up anyway or if they had made the quote-unquote right choices, meaning not choosing criminality, for example, not choosing to sell drugs, uh, not choosing gang violence, etc., right, then then the, those alternatives to those, to those, I guess, stereotypically bad choices, one of the reasons why they don't look so attractive to people who live under those conditions is because it's really, really difficult to like live a comfortable, non-impoverished life choosing those alternative means. If you're just gonna like stick the school in a lot of these different neighborhoods when the schools are subpar, like your chances of making it out of poverty don't seem that promising. But if you, you know, sell drugs for a living until you can get your mixtape out and you try to replicate a formula that a lot of other niggas in the hood that you model yourself after have done to get them out, your Jay Z's, your Snoop Dogs, etc., right? Like a lot of people make these choices that you may say are bad choices or are traps, motivated by I think a a fairly fair analysis of what all all, all the choices are and because they don't have the same choices on their menu of options as a lot of other people who live in a lot better conditions, right? Like we have to acknowledge that yes, they're making bad choices, but they're making bad choices under certain conditions that are maximizing the likelihood that those, those bad choices are going to look more appealing than they otherwise would. And that's a confluence of personal responsibility, which I know you want to emphasize, and systemic structural factors, which is what I'm trying to get you to see. Cause you seem to wanna put it all in one bucket and you don't wanna acknowledge all of this stuff. What
1: do you say yeah. to that? I don't, I, don't, I don't see the systemic nature um, because there's a point in time where black people had worse systemic problems yet better outcomes, okay? In terms of like drug dealing, in terms of uh, ending up in prison, in terms of single motherhood, in turn like all these things were at a lower rate when black people were actually experiencing real systemic racism codified in law they couldn't argue against it but now we have a situation where we have to try and find systemic racism in different fields because there's so many other confounding variables that must be accounted for and so my argument is not that there's there, there there's there couldn't be any systemic i'm not talking about systemic racism there's systemic things in, like, say, a, a ghetto that could cause you to end up drug dealing. The argument, though, is that that's not systemic racism. That's just a systemic culture that 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 you found yourself in, and you're now resorting to actions or 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 you know decisions that may be evaluated as being outside of outside of your control.
0: Okay, but but the but, day, but the systemic, but.
1: Yeah, but at the end of the day, you know, these people come from families, and these families were built off of family decisions, off of individual people's decisions. And if you don't build a strong family unit, a strong family structure, you cannot reasonably expect to end up with better outcomes for the kids that come out of those units than in other places that they have better uh, family structures built.
0: I mean, so the importance of the family, I mean, you're, you're kind of preaching to the choir, I, I would never argue that the family structure is not important. I'm not one of those. Um, I would consider them radical leftists that that make it seem as though mm-hmm. the family is not that big of a deal. However, even even the the strength or, or stability, or lack thereof, of a family unit is impacted by yeah. system, by a lot of the same systemic forces. Right? So like, like families live in these conditions of poverty too. And 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 a lot of times, a lot of these cycles of poverty are perpetuated by the fact that these families are broken. And a, a part of the contributing factors of, of what breaks these families, what, what ends up separating people who otherwise would be in a, in a solid family unit are the conditions mm-hmm. of poverty in which they live, are the drive-by shootings that happen and that takes family members out of the, out of the home, are the uh, arrests that are made. Um, and, and sometimes ridiculous ones like mere possession of weed which takes a father out of his home where, where he would be very useful in keeping his family together and raising his children but puts him in prison for no reason right just because he had too much marijuana on him right mm-hmm. for example um etc and, and and that's not to that's not to downplay the very poor choices that some people make who live in conditions of poverty right. I think the person who decides to get in his car and shoot somebody because they live in the wrong neighborhood is making a bad choice, to be fair, right? And they don't necessarily have to do that, right? And a lot of it is not arbitrary in that way. A lot of it is motivated by, you know, turfs that have to do with like whether or not you can like distribute your drugs, which is tied to your economic ends, which is tied to your ability to make ends meet. So it's so it's motivated in a lot in a lot less arbitrary and capricious ways but you know sometimes you do have these kind of like uh, this honor culture manifests itself of like such and such a person disrespected me so i'm gonna go pop, bust a you know pop a cap in his ass on some on some thug shit. like so that happens too and these are poor choices in my opinion i would agree with you right but like these things are are cyclical partly because of the structural elements that we have like what are the reasons why What are the, what are all of the causal mechanisms by which black and brown people get concentrated in urbanized ghettos, right? And that history goes way beyond before, long before 2022, right? The history of those trends and those trends are systemic in nature. They're structural in nature, denying black people at a systemic level, like, 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 like systemically or, 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 or uh, what consistently from being able to buy certain uh, properties in certain areas that we're going to appreciate and value either at a faster rate or to or to a way larger extent than other areas where they end up basically renting um all of that kind of stuff predatory lending practices all that kind of stuff all of that stuff contributes to the conditions under which black and brown people live in this country and so like that that's got to show up in your analysis historically yeah about, but what's giving you know, rise to these trends and if you can't hold on well, i'm almost done and if and if you can't if you can't take those things, those causal mechanisms into effect, and you're just gonna blame people for making bad decisions, then to me your analysis is going to be summarily incomplete. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, so my argument, my my thesis from the start was that systems are built to affect the majority of people who go through them in in a positive light or in a negative light. That's the point of a system. Well, if you're if what's the what's point that, of a system If you build a system, you don't want majority of people falling through the cracks. Otherwise, you have a very incoherent and dysfunctional system. But we we find ourselves arguing over categories or over a system that advantages the majority in every instance, um, on virtually every instance. When it comes to uh, imprisonment, when it comes to income, living in a ghetto versus living in suburbs majority of black people are in the positive end of those things. Okay. Majority of black people aren't in prison. Majority of black people are not in, in, in the ghettos. Majority of black people aren't poor it, but, but I mean, we can focus on the small minority of black people who do end up living in ghettos, who do end up being poor, who do end up in these negative outcomes and we can evaluate, well, why are they in these circumstances? And your argument is, well, we have to look at the foundations of these things and some of the foundation is systemic racism and i'm arguing that no it is not it is not at all because if i can if i I can can find a situation right so look at look at um 1940 in the united states poverty rate for black people in 1940 was 87 do you have facts to back this up i want to show the audience yes Yes. so um you can just uh well let me see i could probably google it for you. i didn't i didn't uh, pull up that particular stat but the the poverty rate i know these numbers verbatim poverty rate for black people in, in 1940 was 87 and just 20 years later 1940 1960 was 47 okay um you can you could check it out if you want um so you have well a, i would like for you, great... if you
0: wouldn't mind i would like for you to pull up so i could show the audience sure sure um You can can keep talking and take your time. As long as you show it at some point, I'm good. Yeah. So
1: you have the greatest deceleration. um, And I literally typed in Google poverty rate black in 1940, and it pulls up 87%. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. So you could share my, my, uh, my tab here. Let me see. I have a tab open. I can just share it with you. So this is what I'm looking at right here. Okay all right and um, it says here um, in 1940 to 47% by 1960. Okay So you had a massive deceleration of, of poverty in black America from 1940 to 1960, arguably one of the most racist periods in American history, okay? This is, this is before the civil rights movement. This is before Brown versus Board of Education. This is before affirmative action. This is before all these things that were supposedly great advancements of, of black people in this country. So what I'm arguing is the simple reality that if I can point to a time period in this country where it is inarguable that black people were facing greater codified systemic oppression, okay? Yet Black people, at the same time, were experiencing better societal outcomes in terms of, say, marriage rates, in terms of uh, children not being born out of wedlock, in terms of greater family structures, in terms of less Black people ending up in prison. Okay, When you can see these outcomes in a time period where Black people were living in greater poverty, you have a, a vast majority of Black people, 87% to a great minority um or uh, at least a minority 47% of black people living in poverty that's a big improvement from 87 to 47
0: 20 years one generation so but what I'm we're arguing now is, uh, go ahead i agree that that's an improvement clearly i uh, <laughs> clearly i would prefer if i had to choose between 87% of black people living in under poverty and 47 i would choose 47 because that's that's harm reduction basically um right now we're looking at i forget the. Uh, hold on Right now, and uh, well, as of twenty nineteen, it was twenty one. So about a well, fifth as of, of
1: 20, as of last year, is nineteen point five.
0: Okay, cool. So about the year fifth, before uh, that was even lower. Okay, fine. But a fifth of the black population is also an improvement from the nineteen sixties, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So no one's denying that we've improved over time. That's a good thing. I praise that. But the people who are still in poverty, that 20%, that one-fifth, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. What, we're, what we're basically debating is what are the causal mechanisms that gave rise to that? And your mm-hmm. argument, I don't think, is a very convincing argument that, that a part of the uh, causal mechanisms aren't the structural forms of racism that we're talking about. And also, just because... So I, I think one of the things that is tripping, I would say, tripping you up is the racism part. Because you you have to you have to like not think about racism as just like racial animus or, or ill will. Like there's a white person there, they look at a black person, they call them the n word because they hate their guts because they have the wrong skin. Like that's that's, not what that's I think kind of, of stereotypical. Yeah. Okay, cool. But what people mean when they talk about structural racism, they're talking about a whole bunch of systemic and structural factors that give rise to disparate outcomes by race. And so the disparate outcomes by race in this case would be the fact that the that that a, a far higher percentage. Of the black population is in poverty by comparison to their white counterparts, and and also by comparison as a, using it as a benchmark to their percent of the population, right? It's only nine percent for white people who are sixty percent of the population, but it's basically a fifth, twenty percent or so, just under twenty percent for a population that only comprises thirteen percent of the entire population. That's that's yeah. what they're, that's what they're pointing out, and th- what I'm saying is like like that is what they mean when they're talking about systemic racism. They're not talking about the racial animus thing. I don't don't think think you've said anything. I don't think you you said anything to debunk that. Like you you've actually in many ways. Everything I'm saying is debunking
1: that. Yeah. Like I said, pointing out the benchmark of of percentage of population means nothing because again, like just because you end up as a minority or majority or overrepresented or underrepresented in any category is not proof of discrimination. Like disparate impact by race does not mean racism is the causal factor. Just like disparate impact by sex does not mean sexism is the causal factor, doesn't mean that sexism cannot be the causal factor of right. of I, a disparate we impact. But you, we, we have we that. have to prove right. So right. so but what then I'm the saying question
0: is, what is what are the causal mechanisms, if not the systemic forms of oppression that I just cited?
1: Oh, it's, that's too easy. I mean, you have a community of people. Oh, by the way. This is something that I actually don't know, but I would be curious to find out what the actual numbers are. Um, so we saw that uh, white people's poverty rate um, is 7%, right? So it's, it's 7% uh, of black 2019. people around. So, nine, so as nine, 2019. nine and 20, right? So you got nine and let's say 20, right? So you got double the rate, roughly 10% white people, uh, 20% black people in poverty, right? So I'd be curious to find out what was the poverty rate of black, of white people, okay, in 1960? Okay, and has mm-hmm. that number, yeah, so has has the number, has the poverty rate of, of white people dropped as dramatically as the poverty rate of black people? Okay, so has it dropped at a higher rate or, or a lower rate? Because if the argument is that, oh, well, we just see a disparate impact, or we just see a, a disparity, you know, because white people have a lower percentage than than black people, that doesn't really tell us anything. If black people have been rising out of poverty at a faster rate than white people throughout that time period, then it actually tells us that this country that is being labeled as being systemically racist has actually favored black people at a greater extent than white people in terms of
0: because giving them the opportunity to rise up. But if the majority of them were already not in poverty, then wouldn't you expect it to drop at a lower rate?
1: No, I'm talking about those who were under the poverty rate. So how, no, but you're talking about the people? rate at
0: which you're talking about the rate at which it dropped over a certain period of time, right? Mm-hmm. You're comparing so let's the rate say, at which it dropped for white people versus the rate at which it dropped for black people.
1: Yeah, so let's that's, say that's white people had a poverty rate of I'm going to just guess. Let's say the poverty rate of white people was fifty percent in 1960. It's a, just a random you know, guess. Overall, then,
0: the nation poverty the nation poverty fell from twenty two percent. Overall in the nation in nineteen sixty, steeply down to twelve. So it, that's overall ten percent. It went from nineteen sixty right. to nineteen eighty. It went from twenty two percent to twelve percent. And then it moved mm-hmm. up a little bit in fifteen uh sorry. No, sorry. You divided overall the age? nation of poverty rate. Hold on, sorry, hold on. No, I haven't yet. Overall, the nation of the poverty rate fell from 22% in 1960, steeply down to 12% in 1980, then moved up moderately to 15% during the current era of rising inequality. Okay. Um, okay. So whites in 1960 was. Oh, that's not helpful. Poverty, white and black. White poverty rates fell from seventeen to nine point four percent in nineteen seventy nine, but then edged up to ten percent in two thousand ten. Okay. So from the same time, black black poverty. Yeah. So white it it started at seventeen, and it went to nine point four in nineteen seventy nine. Okay. I don't know, like what year it started in seventeen. At seventeen, but it, it ended up by the time nineteen seventy nine rolled around, it was nine point four percent. But then it edged up to ten percent in two thousand ten. This is for whites. At the same time, black poverty rates fell from a horrendous fifty five percent in nineteen fifty nine to under thirty percent in nineteen seventy nine. So for blacks in nineteen seventy nine, it was thirty percent. For whites in nineteen seventy nine, it was nine point four percent. Okay. now as i as i predicted the the rate at which it fell is going to be less for whites because <laughs> the distance that it has to fall in the first place <laughs> is already lower <laughs> so that's going to affect the rate if it goes in the same time span um there's a lot more room for improvement for blacks and they made a lot of improvement to be fair um they went mm-hmm. 25 percentage points of an improvement in a deck in two decades from 1959 Ooh, a lot. to 1979 um, and then from 17 to nine to 9.4 is an improvement of about eight, you know, seven or eight percentage points. So what I think is unfair about the argument you just made is to me, I don't think it's very useful to compare the rate at which the poverty level dropped because you're comparing two different groups that had vastly different starting points. Um, and the no, one that started what closer. Fair. No, that's what makes it not fair because the the group that had already low, like <laughs> by comparison to every other group, and also by design because of the way that the structure of this is, of the of the country was that favored them. Yeah, heavily. but think
1: about how much that says. Like you come from a obviously you start the starting point you're way behind it, right? And you're still living in codified oppression, yet your rise economically is at a greater rate than that of the the oppressors
0: but the but the yeah but but the dramatic economic gain is largely due to the fact that the oppressors stopped oppressing them in specific ways (laughs) like enslaving them for example or like not like not allowing them to have certain jobs not allowing them to go to school like when you when you Mm -hmm. quote unquote take all of those forms of explicit racial oppression away then yeah you would expect to have dramatic gains for that population yeah and it's not really saying much
1: it actually but what i'm saying is
0: no it doesn't it undermines your argument in a fundamental way because you're you're trying to sell this as evidence that it was better that black people were in some sense better off by comparison to the way they are now because there was a time when there was like more oppression but they're the rate at which they dropped uh the, the rate at which the 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 percentage of, of their population that was in poverty uh yeah. dramatically dropped more dramatically than the white population that was by and large not in poverty in the first place because they benefited from all the forms of systemic oppression. That's that's the yeah. thing that undermines what you're arguing.
1: No, what I'm saying is they were better off culturally. That's what I'm saying.
0: Who who so, was? The black the black, black population? People. Yes. Yes, during greater okay, corporate
1: oppression, black people were better off culturally. There, there are, are certain facets, there certain facets
0: of black culture that were improved. For example, black people tended to be married in the first place and then stay married. Um it was a big deal for black people, particularly immediately after slavery because black people typically weren't allowed to like stay with their families because <laughs> their families were broken up during slavery and stuff like that. Also, they couldn't afford to get married in a lot of cases. Now, black people Actually, did get they, married. A they lot got during married slavery. during slavery. But like, I literally just said that. <laughs> yeah, black people did get married fairly frequently during slavery, but not always. And a lot of times, like their ability to like stay with their families was undermined or compromised by the fact that they were enslaved. That's what I was trying to say. Um, but regardless, my, my, the only point I'm making is. I acknowledge that the rate at which, especially after slavery ended, (laughs) the rate at which the poverty level for black people dropped was more dramatic than that of white people. But my explanation or my I guess my rebuttal to that is that ain't really saying much because white people, by and large, weren't really that impoverished in the first place because they, by and large, they by and large benefited from the forms of oppression that 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 created such a high percentage of black people in poverty in the first place. That's what I'm
1: saying. No. So so you 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 go back 100 or 200 years ago and virtually everyone is poor okay and this is not just here in the united states this is all western world okay virtually everyone lived on under a dollar a day the average person okay so in america even during slavery the vast majority of white people weren't wealthy the vast majority of them that's why most of them never owned slaves because it was expensive to own one in the first place so you have the majority of white people who also were not living in plush luxury okay sure the societal conditions in which they lived were advantageous to that of black people who were considered slaves, for example. But the reason I said your argument actually lends to mine or your 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 evidence that you were pointing out actually lends to my argument is the fact that this country has bent over backwards since its inception to make gains for black people. Like it has been on a trajectory of a more perfect union since the start. You start off with slavery, then you get rid of it. You end up with Jim Crow, then you get rid of it. You end up with unequal representation under the law to now equal representation under the law. And you have situations now where black people are being given an unfair advantage as it pertains to being treated equally under the law.
0: you know. And Dude, you're, that, but that, <laughs> that, the passage of time that you're talking about is 400 years. <laughs> no, it's not 400 years. Yeah, yes, it is. If you're gonna take slavery and Jim Crow into account, it's about four hundred years, dude. No, hmm. do the math. Okay. When did slavery start? In this country, in like the 1600s.
1: Okay, so well, America wasn't a country until 1776.
0: Okay, but even but, if
1: even if I was to you grant asked me when you slavery, 16...
0: in the country started, yeah, in started the country, when, it, it, was in a, with, it was a colony, but.
1: Yeah, okay I'll, okay, I'll 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 concede to your argument of, of sixteen hundred. 1600. 1619 is what they usually point to, right? When the first 20 slaves arrive in the United States, or in the country, as we call it. Mm-hmm. 1619 to 1865 is not 400 years.
0: Right, but that doesn't include okay. Jim Crow. Okay, you but you're not in slavery. slavery. You're talking about yeah. 1965. No, but you, wait, hold on. That's not you 400 years even. That Jim Crow... Dude, what? So from 16, <laughs> so from 1619 to let's say 1619 to 60, 1865 no, to years. Okay. is 1947. Okay. So they did 300, you got 300 and, 350 yeah. years, give or take. All right, cool. So then at best, you could say I'm 1500, I'm 50 years over. <laughs> yeah, ex-
1: 350 except 350 years.
0: That, but, and that's me being generous because
1: I gave you 1619 as the starting point. Thank you point. for that. Yeah, because like, like, if you're going to indict years. the country, if you, and by the way, the first one of the first slave owners
0: was black. Anthony Johnson, is that to States? do with the point I'm making? That has nothing to do with what I'm saying. The, the what I'm, I'm saying, I'm I, first of all, first of all, I acknowledge I acknowledge that you had non-white slave owners. <laughs> That's a fact. No one denies yeah. that. Very fucking rare, but nobody denies that. What I'm saying is there's it's not a really a like. flex to say that America <laughs> was on a trajectory towards forming a more perfect union when that trajectory spanned 350 years of since the suppression of black people, bro. And for you to you to just gloss over that, like that wasn't a ridiculous amount of time <laughs> for people oh. to have a boot on their neck. And then that and act like that has nothing to do with the disparities that we see in so so many domains in our country, not, in, not including but not limited to income inequality, disparities in education, disparities in access uh, to health care, is real disingenuous. And that's the kind of thing that frustrates me when we have this debate, because every time I try to point this out to you, you try to make it seem like 2022 is in some sense unrelated to that 350 year span of history whereby mm-hmm. black people were explicitly and objectively kept from developing the wealth and all of the systemic forces that go into maintaining wealth over subsequent generations, right? Like like that has nothing to do with the conditions of poverty that motherfuckers in the South Side of Chicago live in yeah. or places like Baltimore or places like Philly or yeah. places like LA, like Compton, right? Like that has nothing to do with their conditions. Like, come on, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, 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 At a certain point, I just, I really need you to use your common sense. Like how can that, yeah. how is it possible that, the, the the people who live in poverty now in 2022 that the 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 there's no causal relationship whatsoever to that history of oppression for Black people.
1: Yeah, um, it's simple. It's, it's you would have to draw a straight line from from slavery to some guy in South Side Chicago going to kill somebody or being or being in the level of poverty that they are right now. Uh, what we know of right now is that the conditions of poverty. Number one for black people in this country are very low. We we just you just looked up the stats, I was right, 19.5% of black people fifth. are in poverty.
0: It's a fifth of the population. Okay. That's yes. not low. That's No, no, no. Wait, too high. But it is
1: dramatically lower than what it was even in 1960 at 47%. Okay? Like you have okay, you, I, if I, you look I, at the trajectory I, of black it's, people it's, getting out
0: of poverty, it's on a steady decline. Okay? Over time. I I have no problem admitting that it's on a decline and that it's dramatically lower than it was in 1960. That's not my issue. My issue is that you're trying to frame that evidence somehow that there's no link causally between the poverty that black people experienced in 2022 and the poverty that has been experienced by black people throughout the country's history. Okay, so That's what I'm fighting.
1: So let me ask you this question. What other causal factors can you think of that would be the 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 reasons as to why black people in america would find
0: themselves poor. So one of the biggest ones is that black people have been summarily deprived for extended ridiculous spans of time from creating wealth that they can then pass down to subsequent generations, right? So the percentage of black people who have the ability to pass down like their the the the, the product of wealth that they've generated over over hundreds of years to their to their progeny, right? Has been, has been systemically prevented for the majority of the existence of the country, whereby white people, right, it has been not only preserved, but maximized in the same span of time. And so one of the causal explanations for why white people's um, uh, uh, wealth is ridiculously higher than every other racial group in this country, right, by and large, like that's part of an explanation, a causal explanation for that. Because one of the biggest contributing factors to wealth is you getting it from prior generations. So that's just one example. Actually I it is not. Um, by the data- what you, well, Actually what this is this not? Up, right? So actually what is
1: not? Wealth generation is not mm-hmm. by and large a factor of you being able to get wealth from your preceding generations. It is not by any stretch of the imagination um okay as it pertains to what is the biggest to, to contributor wealth? to wealth in a country human capital that's the, the know, largest contributor. like labor you, you mean labor no human capital uh skills knowledge experience okay uh, so the skills that you learn your increase in education your increase in the different skills that are needed in the country to warrant higher incomes, those are human capital. Those are the things okay, that catapult I'm a, people I'm gonna contradict property. you right And I'm not contradicting you, look you at, right now. Sure, but let, let me just say this as far as generational wealth is concerned. The vast majority of people never receive generational wealth to start off, okay? Even white people. And as a matter of fact, you're just as likely to not receive generational wealth from a millionaire household as you are from somebody who's just getting by. That's how rare it is second for those people who do receive generational wealth and by the way the stat is um the, uh, the um 70 to 80% of all the people who are millionaires okay who would be considered wealthy in this country are self-made okay so the vast majority 70 to 80% so that means wait. that these people didn't get wait, like wait, money wait, handed wait, down wait, to them
0: wait wait <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> so being self-made does not does not mean that you didn't inherit money. I just want you to know that.
1: What does being self-made mean?
0: So so being self-made is completely consistent with you having inherited money. <laughs> what? <laughs> you can also also you you could have you could have just been given a loan, so to speak, like what Donald Trump was given. This motherfucker was given like, what, $4 million loan, which then he turned into whatever his industry was that he capitalized on. Okay. And, and he described as self-made, but he was given a large sum of capital by his family, if only for a limited amount of time because he borrowed it, then I guess presumably he paid it back, right? Like the ability of one person to even receive that is predicated upon somebody from the prior generation having that capital to give them in the first place. Right. Yeah. So it's, I wouldn't still, consider another Donald example Trump of the same
1: self made because he's not. That's okay. not the definition I'm running off of. He considers saying,
0: himself self made.
1: Well, he can yeah. consider himself whatever he wants. That doesn't make it so. What I'm saying is the 70 to 80% of everyone who has generational wealth, which is what you're talking about, are self made, mm-hmm. meaning that they didn't receive wealth passed down from the previous generation.
0: 70 percent of people who are wealthy are are self made, is that yes? Repeat your stat again, yeah. 70 percent of people who are currently wealthy are self made, meaning they did not receive any capital or or property from their inheritances. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, okay. So can you prove is, that? Uh, I don't believe that at all. I need you to fact, I'm gonna so I'm a, I'm a, I'm calling business you to fact, daily. sure, okay. So, according show, show, to it, business, so show it, show it. Well, I want you to show it to my audience and then while you do that, I'm going to read this and then I'm going to have you give you a rebuttal. So this contradicts something that you said that I found. This is something I found quick. I can find a better source if you have an issue with the source, if you don't think it's trustworthy or something, um, it's Deloitte. I don't even know how to say it, Deloitte. I don't even know how to say this. Deloitte insight says the more you have, the more you gain, how home ownership and stocks contribute to the wealth gap in America. Um, So homes and stocks make up a large proportion of us household wealth. And that's the predicate that that's the thing i'm that 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 my argument is predicated on great news for those of you who have them but many minority households and younger households don't okay so one of the biggest keys or one of the greatest indicators of wealth in this country is that you hold properties mm-hmm. or homes you own homes or that you hold stocks okay those are the two contributing factors okay and homes and property are typically passed down um when people die and um, a lot of the land ownership in early America, right? Was exclusively owned, almost exclusively owned by white people, particularly prior to slavery ending, right? It was very rare for a black person to own land during slave days. I think it did happen, but it was extremely rare, right? And those are one of the biggest wealth creators for early for, for the descendants of those people who own the land, right? And that contributes to a lot of the trends I think we see by race today in 2022. That's one of the straight lines that I would draw that, to put it in your words, from slave times to the the uh, race, the the wealth gap, the wealth inequalities that we see by race uh, in 2022. Um, I'm gonna read this, and then you can have your rebuttal. U.S. wealth inequality is becoming more entrenched after the COVID-19 recession, uh, as the divide between asset haves and have-nots become greater, with home and stock ownership being the largest contributors to the growing gap. Before February 2020. In April 2022, median home prices rose by 45% and stock portfolio values grew by 40%, boosting the wealth of those who own homes and stock holdings, but leaving those who did not further behind. Government support programs were important contributors in reducing income and wealth inequality in the aftermath of the pandemic. The share of the wealth accruing to the bottom 50% of households reached its highest level in 2003. All right. So they're talking about like the more recent manifestations of this but this this to me is just a continuation of a lot of the systemic trends that we've already been seeing in terms of who ends up um generating and 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 by this argument keeping and maintaining their wealth over time um and I, and 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 i'm I'm including generations of people so that, them passing it down to for the, to you know their lineage uh and then who doesn't if you don't own a home or own any land or have any stocks right? That you can't pass it down to your, to your children. And I'm thinking, and so, so that those trends from all the way in the fucking 1600s, all the way to 2022, I think have been a major contributing factor to why a lot of black people, uh, even though way more do now than ever before, but a lot of black people still don't own homes. They still don't own stocks, etc. Um, so I want to hear your rebuttal, but what do you think about that? Yeah. Um,
1: even when it comes to like stocks or whatever assets that people might have acquired um, through any period of time, the stat still remains. Not only is it a vast minority of people who are able to pass down wealth transfer, but more importantly is what happens after it's passed down, because the vast majority of people don't have the skills to keep wealth. So you end up with 70% of all wealth dissipating in two generations and 90% of it generate uh, dissipating in three generations. Okay, going back to the source that I was alluding to earlier, as far as being self made, uh, and people who are considered wealthy being people who like make over a million bucks, you have a 2019 study, and now let me share this. Um, let's See here, how do I? Okay, so do, do, do. I think it's this one, yep. So, 2019 study, published yeah. by WellTax Found that around, yeah. can you see this? Yeah, I can see. All right. Yeah, so this is Business Daily. Um. Found that 68% of those with a net worth of $30 million or more All made right, it me, themselves.
0: Do me a favor, me a favor yeah. and increase the size of your screen so that like, my viewers can read it better.
1: All right. Perfect. Is this like, better? Yep, that's Yeah. Perfect. And then it says further, a second study by Fidelity Investments found that 88% of all millionaires are self-made, meaning they did not inherit their wealth. Okay. Yeah, but um, wait,
0: sorry, but millionaires does not mean, so there are a lot of people who are wealthy who are not millionaires necessarily, right? Yeah,
1: but that was my, that was, you know, and I, I um, what do you call it? I, I, I gave my definition of what I consider people to be wealthy, people making a million dollars or
0: more. Okay, so millionaires. Well, that's arbitrary. That's what, well, but well, I well said wait, hold on. What we're, what we're talking yeah. about, though, to be fair, let's be fair. What we're talking about uh-huh. is people who are above the poverty line. And that's going to include people who are not millionaires.
1: Oh, right? that, okay. So, what is the likelihood of somebody who isn't a millionaire and who is making uh, $50,000 a year to mm-hmm. pass down their wealth? And what is the likelihood of somebody who is making a million dollars a year to pass down their wealth?
0: A person who's making more in general, including the people who make a million or more are going to be able to, they're going to be in a better position to pass down wealth for sure, because they have more of it,
1: right? So they, 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 they have, they're in a better position to do it, but that doesn't mean that they do. And that's what's so interesting about this whole, um, like generational wealth thing. Because what you find is that even when it comes to wealthy families, like millionaire households, the likelihood Uh of them passing down wealth to their kids is just as likely as someone who is coming from a middle class or high middle class
0: family, just getting by. I, it I don't is know. It's crazy. I, well, okay. I, I'm about to disagree, but to steel man, you, I think what you really mean is anybody who has the capacity at whatever their income level to accumulate assets and then subsequently pass those down, right, is just as likely as somebody who's even more able because they make more money in the same span of time to do so. I think that's what you mean and I think that that intuitively seems right but like there's levels to this shit so there's a difference between somebody who's making 60k a year who's accumulating assets at at that income level passing their sure. assets down to their kids and somebody who's making a million plus a year doing the same thing because because they're going to be able to accumulate more assets in the same amount of time and then therefore Make more in returns on their in whatever investments that they have um, on their assets, or if if it's, if it's property, the the equity or the 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 improved um, value of it, the increase in value, and, and that's going to be a return We're on investment. Is going so, to be just to be. Just to be well, yeah, but I mean, I think these are I think assumptions
1: these... that they're able to acquire more assets, so that they're going to acquire more assets. So no, that but in general, want... if you have
0: more capital, you are able to acquire more assets. It doesn't mean not you necessarily. necessarily will every time. No, hold on, you have the potential to, right? The opportunity to. There's more opportunity. It doesn't mean that you actually will, because there's all kinds sure. of things that can negatively impact that. Right? I'm not. Try- sure. I'm not guaranteeing that they're going to do it. What I'm saying is, on the whole, the more capital you have, right, you are better able to accumulate more assets because you have more capital to by, that you use as an instrument to go get the assets. That's right. Like, so no, I don't right? agree okay. I don't
1: I doesn't disagree with you there, right? So if you have more money, you have more capacity to buy more stuff, right? Right. to buy more right. assets. The the mm-hmm. problem is and this is what these rich people find out and that's why there's better vehicles to do this today and they had to be invented for this particular reason is because human capital trumps all. When you have kids that don't that don't have the skill set that you had to maintain the wealth, you know, let alone increase it, you you're fearful of what could happen if you just transfer all this wealth to your kids because it could destroy them. We've seen this time and time again. That that's if it's why not managed,
0: I'll, yeah. If it's ma- if it's managed poorly, yes, I, I agree with you. So there's yeah, a risk, and, and that's of what happens to majority of, of wealth it's managed no, poorly. That's not what happens to the majority of uh, so there's a lot of there's a lot of instances of what you're saying that is uh, definitely true. But I don't think that's what happens to the majority of wealth. particularly the more wealthy you are, right? No, What's majority the, of wealth the, is the, dissipated. The, what do you mean? Majority of wealth
1: dissipates in three generations. Tops. Oh, okay. Like okay. this is Yeah, so like regardless of how rich you are, Mm-hmm. the The stat is ninety percent of all wealth, generational wealth, generate like wealth transferred through generations is will be yeah. gone by the third, which goes to show us that like there's a big determining <laughs> I need, factor a, of human I need, capital. I'm to fact
0: check you on that. I need you to I need you to prove that. I, I yes. Yeah, so what you're saying is not intuitive. Right thing. here,
1: let me just share my screen so I don't have to keep.
0: Yeah, that's fine. All right, all right, here you go. So do you see this now? All right. So, why do seventy percent of families lose their wealth in the second generation? So yeah, that's seventy percent of families, not seventy percent of wealthy families. <laughs> that's including that's including people. <laughs> Come on, dude. We're yeah, not just talking this, about billionaires here, dude. Yeah. What does
1: this say? Generational wealth. Generational
0: right? wealth. Yeah. Yeah. But seventy so percent of families
1: lose yes. their wealth. Okay. Here we go. Okay. You want to get deeper? It is estimated yeah. that seventy percent of wealthy families will uh-huh. lose their wealth. By the second uh-huh. generation and 90 percent will lose it by the third uh-huh. okay generations are taught not to talk about money okay and the prior generations worry that the next generation will become lazy and entitled many okay, do not I, have I a I clue concede. about the value of money how to handle it right okay, so, i can
0: see i can see i can see the point you're making but i what i don't see is how you how it proves what you're saying
1: so the the proof of this is that if we know for fact that the vast majority of wealth dissipates okay regardless of whether you're you're rich or not if you transfer money from as a 50k per year earner or a 50 million per year earner that it will dissipate within three generations and 70 percent of it will dissipate within just two generations then it is clear as day to draw the conclusion that number one human capital is a major factor as to what determines the ability of one generation versus the next to maintain their wealth. That's first of all. Second, it also proves that the straight line that you're trying to draw from like slavery uh, to now as being the causal factor for people's economic realities simply isn't true. People aren't reaping the effects of generational wealth by and large from slavery because even if all white people had wealth during slavery, it would not be true today for the simple fact that again wealth would have been dissipated. Not all white
0: people ago. not all white people not all white people had wealth during slavery. Uh,
1: they were poor. No, I didn't say that. I'm saying slavery. if they did. If they did, I'm 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 still okay, Manning. But I'm but saying the ones that did, even if white people the ones...
0: did. Okay. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is that there are certain things that are like primary contributors or deter like like, um, like predictors of wealth in the country, right? This source that I have points to two of those assets. Home equity and retirement accounts, particularly in 2019, accounted for 65.2% of households. Um, but owning homes or properties and or land historically have been the biggest predictors of wealth generationally. Okay and that's okay. that that is intimately correlated with or even connected to slavery because you had for an extended period of time explicit prohibitions against certain groups of people i.e. slaves and their descendants from even owning property or having access mm. to to the materials that they would need to even to even acquire those assets right and i don't disagree and in, fact, and in fact in fact in fact the slaves themselves were considered an asset of sorts uh, yeah. for the wealthy i don't disagree with you there
1: what we're disagreeing about is 2022
0: wait wait. (laughs) Wait. no no but but no no but what i'm saying is when it comes to transferring wealth over that extended period of time there's going to be a complicated story to tell right because the 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 primary assets by which wealth was stored have changed and ebbed and flowed over time but one of the ones that have remained consistent was owning land and property (laughs) since Mm -hmm. slavery right Okay, so like those are the kinds of things that got passed down consistently throughout that time. And I can draw yeah. a line through that particular kind of asset to now. Right? Yeah. And what those, I'm telling you, what, what I'm trying to tell dissipated. you. Okay, that's fine. But but what I'm saying is by and large, the ones that maintain were mostly white people because they had it in the first place. That's what I'm
1: saying. Yeah, except for the fact that again
0: so if it's 90%, then that 10%. Hold on. If it's 90% that dissipated, right? By the third generation or whatever, right? And that 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 trend held all the way to 2022, then you would still have ten percent, it stands to reason, right? Or something there thereabouts that maintained it. And I'm saying the vast majority of them would be white if it's if you start from a point where black people couldn't own any of the assets that would have generated the wealth, right? Yeah, so that's, that's actually that... an
1: argument from silence. It's not it, so saying How? 90% of wealth dissipates in the third generation does not mean that ten percent of wealthy families kept their wealth forever. It's not what that says. It just says that ninety percent of the, I'm not, their wealth dissipates dude. in three generations. The, the other ten percent could have their wealth dissipate in four, or five, or six generations. We don't know. Now hey, we could look okay, that fine. up, but okay, fine. You, you can't say that it just lasted forever because okay, we fine. Don't have that that's ability. fine. That's
0: a that's a fair. That's actually a fair counterpoint. But what I'm what all I'm trying to say is, like, dude, the main, no matter what time period you're talking about throughout this history, mm-hmm. right? The things that uh, the 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 assets in which wealth generally was primarily stored, right? <laughs> if if you have a certain group of people that was deprived from accumulating all of those assets, then it stands to reason that the the whatever wealth made it through to 2022 is going to be concentrated in the hands of white people, right? Wrong. That's the point I'm making. Okay, so then explain how that's not true.
1: So it's it's not true for the simple reality that even when it comes to like houses, right? And and mm-hmm. the ability to purchase houses. Mm-hmm. During Jim Crow and during redlining, black people acquired homes at a faster rate than black than white people. Okay? But, was, um, but
0: only a small percentage of them were able to acquire homes.
1: Actually, the actually majority of black people who applied for home mortgages were approved just like it is today. But
0: the, no, no, I'm talking about, wow. The, okay, the majority of black people who applied, right? Whatever percentage yeah. that is, I guarantee you it's not going to be the majority of black people writ large in the country at that time.
1: Yeah, the, yeah, because majority of white people also don't apply for mortgages. The majority of everybody okay. doesn't apply for, for oh, mortgages. My, so I'm then, saying- So then the claim that I made, that, wait, hold on.
0: Wait, but then logically, then the claim that I made must be true, which is that it's not the majority of black people who own homes.
1: I, I didn't say that. I said major- that is a not a meaningful metric to say majority of black people don't own homes. It's just as meaningless as saying majority of white people don't own homes. That meaningful metric is- No, it's, at, not okay, wait, where, it's not meaningless. Wait, it's not meaningless the because the
0: percentage of black people who don't own homes is higher than the percentage of white people who don't own homes. And that actually is a reflection of the income inequality or the, the wealth inequality that we're talking about.
1: Okay so I can I can concede that there is a dis- disparity of income between white people and black people the argument though here if you're going to talk about discrimination as it pertains to like owning houses or getting a mortgage loan you can't argue about everyone all black people and whether or not they have a home you have to argue about those who apply to get a home cuz It makes no sense to argue about whether or not you can get a home if you never applied. We only deal with those who applied to get a home mortgage loan and got denied. That's a way more meaningful thing to argue about. Why would you apply
0: if you don't have the capital and if you don't have the credit? Yeah, why why would white people
1: apply if they don't have the capital and they don't have the credit? It's the same the thing. the white everyone. people
0: have statistically, dude. We just went over the data. The white people are statistically more likely to have those things than black people. That's the point I'm making. That's one that's of the. Right. <laughs> that's that's part except of the conditions the systemically that contribute facts. to these to these trends.
1: Yeah, except for the fact that during redlining, during redlining, which is what everybody jumps to, black people had their home ownership rate grew at a faster rate than that of
0: white people. That doesn't mean anything. It means that a mean lot. Anything. No, it, it doesn't. means everything. The rate at which it grew doesn't is not an is not a is not the best metric. Are you serious? So you're telling relative. me that at a time no, where no, wait, that's not a that's not a good basis of comparison for what the wealthy actually have. The rate at which it grew does not tell you the rate. The it, it does not give you. It's not the best indicator of the inequality in the first place. It actually is in, in a weird way obfuscating the inequality because you keep touting the fact that it grew at a faster. rate rate and if you take into account the fact that black people soft a worse point and then and then had all of those valves of oppression taken off of them and then they rapidly grew in the wake of that then like <laughs> yeah i would expect oh, that to so, happen because they're no longer being oppressed in that way oh
1: so they're not being oppressed in that way
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so redlining Absolutely. for example is a, is a form of systemic oppression that 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 negatively impacted black people and black people were the targets of that
1: no so eg- that's exactly the counterpoint that I'm trying to make is that during redlining when people argue that black people are being systemically oppressed from getting homes that black people are actually getting homes at a higher rate than that than than, than white people did like the the home ownership rates are a big deal
0: because but, but way more white place, people as a percentage got homes dude and and actually got the like homes in affluent areas that black people were redlined out of yeah and that has implications a, a strong, for wealth creation that has implications there, for wealth creation. there
1: is a strong reason as to why um black people would be denied mortgages i'm not arguing against that i mean you're coming from a place of jim but, crow no but straight dude, from slavery dude. and then you we're expecting black people to somehow start off on the same playing field economically and being approved at no, the same rates. It's not gonna no, happen. You're no, gonna have no, no. My, my
0: point is not that they're gonna magically start off at the same point. My, 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 my point is that the reason why black people were disadvantaged in the first place is a continuation of the history by which they were disadvantaged in all sorts of ways. right? And so that's the straight line that you keep trying to block for some reason with these random- Except it's tidbits. not a straight
1: line like if they would continue it, it, it to is, not it own is homes it is
0: complex it is complex but it is a straight line because that's how well, they would, that continued that's how those forms of those those systemic forms of oppression continued to negatively impact all of the prospects for black people to create and maintain wealth that's so but you're, so, you're so the trends argument. of the trends of wealth inequalities that we see maintained today that's the vehicle by which they were preserved even though black people have made gains since the '60s, right, You're, and and I guess the '40s, right, like the the fact that we still have a fifth of the black population that's living under the poverty line is a function of those trends that continued. They those are that's the mechanism by which that trend is preserved. That's one of the explanatory factors that people give why black people. Are twenty percent in the uh, like twenty percent of the black population in the pop, under the poverty line, while only nine percent of the white population is under the poverty line. And you keep trying to make it seem like they have nothing to do with each other. Like, I just don't. I don't see how you can maintain that. That seems like a, such an untenable position given all of the evidence. No, I, I think it's. I think it's simple,
1: right? You end up with a country that starts off with a certain group of people who are disadvantaged and a certain group of people who aren't as disadvantaged. And one group of people starts off, a, you know. Ahead of the starting point and the other one starts behind the starting point. And then we now we're arguing about disparate impact, especially (laughs) during a time when there is clear discrimination, uh, by race, I'm arguing that even during that time, when there was clear discrimination by race, you still had black people making gains at a faster rate than white people. And if the system was built, right to never advantage black people and to always keep them down, then there would be no meaningful metric to look at and be like, well, here, white people are actually losing against black people. Well, here, black, white, white people's growth is actually growing at a lesser rate than that of black people. But what we find is that time and time again throughout American history, you have black people making massive gains. You have black people who end up with as majority poor to minority poor from from not being able to own houses, to being able to own houses, from being like, n- forget not getting loans. You couldn't even own property, you know? And then now you can not only own property, but you can, you're, you're you're acquiring property at a faster rate than a whole subset of people who were considered as the oppressors at some point. The, the meaningful metric to me is this, as it comes to systemic racism in America in 2022, is if you're gonna make the claim, that systemic racism is real and alive today that's keeping black people down, you have to demonstrate by accounting for all the other confounding variables as to why systemic racism, okay, is the causal factor for black people. If you're gonna say it's housing, if you're gonna say it's income, whatever, you have to say that, hey, these other reasons are not it. Systemic racism has to be it. I don't think you can demonstrate one.
0: area in which
1: you can I don't think you I don't think you can show me any example where black people are in the positions that they are today strictly because of systemic racism and no other compounding variable
0: I don't think you can do that wait systemic racism entails a bunch of variables That's what what we're fundamentally talking about are a bunch of different variables that coalesce and that systemic racism is the umbrella term used for those things. I'm talking so about, I've been this. Just I'm talking about other variables
1: things. that are not linked to racism at all. I'm talking about other variables that aren't linked to racism the, that you've the, accounted the, for the, and now you're left what, with when, this racism. Hold
0: on. So now I got it. Now I got it. OK, so I, I see that I'm going to have to. Go to definitions in a second, I guess. I guess I'll go to the definitions and then I'll come back to the to the the one I thought I found earlier. Um, But. Leah, let me go to these definitions real quick. Uh, Let's see. Where is. Uh, Okay, so health affairs. There we go. All right. Hopefully that this uh, can help us out here. All right. Um, so this is from health affairs, systemic and structural racism, definitions, examples, health damages, and approaches to dismantling. What I want to do is I want to make sure that I'm being as clear as possible about what it is that people have in mind when they talk about systemic racism. You keep talking about it as if the racism part is something that is something, something that is separable from the structural part. And what people are talking about is all of the structural things that give rise to discrepancies by race. That's what they mean when they say systemic racism. So racism according to this abstract is not always conscious explicit or readily visible often it is systemic and structural systemic and structural racism are forms of racism that are pervasively and deeply embedded in systems laws written or unwritten policies and entrenched practices and beliefs that produce condone and perpetuate widespread unfair treatment and oppression of people of color with adverse health consequences Examples include residential segregation, unfair lending practices, and other barriers to home ownership and accumulating wealth, schools' dependence on local property taxes, environmental injustice, biased policing and sentencing of men and boys of color, and voter suppression policies. This article defines systemic and structural racism using examples, explains how they damage health uh, through many causal pathways, and suggests approaches to dismantling them. Because systemic and structural racism permeate all sectors and areas, addressing them will require mutually reinforcing actions in multiple sectors and places, acknowledging their existence is a crucial first step. All right. So the kind of thing that we're talking about here are things that are embedded into our systems, our laws, our policies that give rise to disparate outcomes by race. That's fundamentally what we're talking about. That's the sense in which it's systemic and racist. It's the discrep the racial discrepancy in outcomes is the racist part, and the systemic and structural part is the fact that it's embedded, usually in a very passive way, uh, into our systems, structures, laws, protocols, procedures, uh, all of that kind of stuff. So, can you, in give terms you of how example- our society runs?
1: Can you give me an example of oh, a codified so law several- that is uh, available today that is creating disparate impact by race? That is
0: so. Examples include uh, residential segregation, unfair lending practices, and other barriers to home ownership and accumulating wealth, schools, dependence on local property taxes, environmental injustice, biased policing, and sentencing of men and boys of color, voter suppression policies. Anything. Those are all examples that apply today. I was, I'm, I'm literally rereading. I don't the parts think they apply. I, I think those are, I, you, I think you those don't are, think that there are,
1: I think they're bad right? examples, uh, and I don't think they're actually real examples. Like, for example, pointing to, uh, policing or pointing to, uh, housing discrimination or pointing to, what was the other thing you read? Um, why are those bad examples? They're, they're, they're bad examples because, you know, these aren't products of racism. Okay. I can point to other confounding variables. That would be the reasons that they why. are
0: systemic things that give rise to disparate outcomes by race. No, so they're in not. In that sense, they are examples of systemic racism. They're not systemic
1: definition. racist. Okay. So for example, black people as, as an aggregate, okay tend to speed more than other races okay okay that's just a that's just that, that doesn't explain
0: discrepancies in sentencing for certain but i'm crimes. not talking
1: about sentencing right now i'm just talking but about this like is disparate
0: okay this is so so it said
1: police what was the
0: biased policing and yeah, sentencing of men policing. and boys of color
1: yeah so biased and
0: sen- no hold on and the whole, you gotta read the yeah. whole thing okay
1: sure let's By, do a that minute. Yeah. So bias policing and sentencing of men and boys of color. Okay. So I'll I'll deal yeah. with that. So black people speed more than white people. Okay. That's a fact. That's that's been proven by data. Um. You you have black people. You haven't
0: shown any data, oh, by the I mean, way.
1: But go ahead. Uh, I, I could. I think I've been right on every ahead. single thing I've. I've, I've not shared. really. On on every Bro, on everything really. you asked me to show you data on, you've conceded. You've been like, okay, all right, cool, <clears> right? But. I can do that um, as well. I can go and find you the, the article that shows that black people speed on an average more than white people or other races. Okay. I can show that mm-hmm. it's not a big deal, but it's, it's what I'm trying to drive at is that you have groups of people who have never been equal ever and will never be equal. So you have black people who have different, um, isn't that the problem? No, 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 no. That's just n- the like, if if humanity was perfect and we had zero capacity for discrimination, okay, you would still have gross disparities by race. That is something a lot of people never take time to contend with. If you human could beings have, had,
0: you could have gross disparities by race, but not necessarily you, as a result of the same causal mechanisms that I'm trying to articulate right now. Which which, which sure, we're talking that's about it, that's precisely the
1: point is what I'm trying to drive at, Jason. Is that the the fact that we can we can do a thought experiment and think of a world where discrimination does not exist like just picture that for a second human beings not being able to discriminate okay by any me- metric race uh, uh, by race racial discrimination like let's let's act like that was a non factor you would still have people with gross disparities and if you broke it down by race you would find it there as well so we know that there's massive disparities by geography. We know there's massive disparities by birth order. We know there's massive disparities by family structure. We know that there's so many causal factors as to why people end up in disparate situations, right? So
0: the fact that you have black yeah, people... Yeah, but, but they... I don't think that they would fall... So I I, I kind of... I think i get what you're trying to say but i i actually don't agree with what, the way you're trying to apply it <laughs> oh like this, I think this that, example i think that you... i think that i think that there are a whole bunch of things that contribute to disparities other than like racial animus for example which is what i think you're trying to say and that makes sense to me but yes. like the 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 disparate outcomes by race that we're seeing are the product of very specific historical currencies though So this this move to a hypothetical world in which we could imagine conceivably gross discrepancies by race that were in fact not the result of the same kinds of patterns of explicit racial discrimination that we see in our actual history doesn't really help our discussion because the whole thing I've been trying to argue is that these these trends that we see today are actually causally The product of a lot of those actual occurrences in history. That's what I'm I'm trying trying to
1: tell you is that, you know, the reason why this debate is actually pretty fruitful is the fact that you have so many confounding variables that are outside of race that cause these massive disparities to begin with. That's why I was asking you to think of a world with zero discrimination. Not to say that there could ever be a world with zero racial discrimination. All I'm saying is that even if that world existed, you'd still have massive disparities. People are different for a whole host, whole legion of reasons. We make different decisions. We have different aspirations, right? So even when it comes to uh, biased policing and sentencing, I mean, Black people make up, Black people are disproportionately represented in every category of violent crime in the country by the FBI every single one of them okay like you look at the UCR crime report and black people are overrepresented table 43a if you're looking it up they're they're overrepresented juxtaposed to their per- percentage of the population which is what you were using earlier they're overrepresented in right. every single category and if you're overrepresented okay. in every single category and the most hmm. gross category being murder seeing that black people are only 13% of the population, yet black offenders are 53% of all murders in the country. That is, uh-huh. you you can reasonably expect that those people, okay, black people will be policed more than other people who are not as exacerbated in violent crime, which means that you will have more policing in those areas, which means that even if black people, let's say, um, a smoked weed or used cocaine at the same rate or even a lower rate than white people, they would still end up getting stopped and sentenced more than their white counterparts. Why? Because you're being policed more, which means you will get stopped more frequently,
0: which means you will get- in. But, 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 but that's not a good thing. And that proves the point that, that is being made here, which is that that is a clear bias in it, policing. But it's not now. a bias. But it is a bias. It's not a bias. It's not a bias in the the fact that it's warranted. Wait, 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 wait. No, it's not warranted. Once you admit that black people are not using weed at higher rates than their white counterparts, and actually I've read studies that say that white people use it more, but that black people are, are overrepresented in our prison population because they're policed more then then you don't get to say it's not biased that's text no no no, bias. no no but you're you're missing you're missing i hate this word nuance and you're wait, missing wait, the nuance no. of it all i'm not missing any nuance yeah, you do. there's you no are. justification for over-policing a population that you already admit does not use oh, weed or violate the law at a higher so rate so much bruh,
1: justification for over-policing no people. there is not why, would you, why, why is there okay, justification why think... for
0: over-policing people no hold on why is there justification for over-policing black people specifically when it comes to weed violations
1: no, okay, so you what is you're, the justification for that? You're framing it wrongly. I'm not saying that they're overpoliced for wheat. I'm saying that they're overpoliced period for violent crime. And the fact that you will get stopped more, which means you will get caught more frequently, even though you're being stopped for some other interaction, like a traffic light, like because black people speed more. Guess what? You'll get stopped more frequently, which means if you if, if you even smoking was, weed at a lesser rate than white people, the instances of you being found with weed will be at a greater proportion than your white counterparts. That's just a simple you, math. Trying
0: to say that, the, that there's a justification for policing black people more because black people are overrepresented yes. in the categories Crime. for certain crimes, including yeah. but not limited to violent crimes. Yes, and so. As a as a as a perhaps unintended consequence of this justification, you could get discrepancies in punishments for even nonviolent offenses like weed possession. Correct. Right? Okay. Yeah. I think I've demonstrated that I understand. Unintended your point. consequences. But what I'm yeah. saying is, but what I'm saying is that unintended consequences is precisely the example of biased policing that we're talking about, because there is no justification for over policing black people with respect to that crime. So Because so, black people actually don't even use weed more than white people. Here's, here's That's the what reason I'm saying.
1: why it's not biased, is is the fact that if white people were overrepresented in violent crime, they would also be overly policed. That is a fact. Police respond, How is that a fact if it's, it's a hypothetical? It, it, no, no, no. It's a fact because we know that the reason why black people are overpoliced is because police respond to calls for help. When somebody gets murdered. First of all,
0: we don't know that. That's an argument, that's a contention. Okay, Given the so, history of policing, so, there's actually some reasonable doubt about that so, because a lot of times, hold on, because because let me get just my like charger you just demonstrate with this, break this to, to the wheat.
1: Okay. Give right. me like 2 seconds.
0: I'm going to run upstairs and grab my charger. All right. Well, for the audience then, but let me arrive at this point and then I'll repeat it when you come back is like the point I'm trying to make is just like what was uh, what was uh, demonstrated by the biased policing with, with respect to nonviolent offenses like weed violation, or even like the stop and frisk policies, which disproportionately um, like targeted Black people or negatively impacted Black people, right? What these do is they reify certain tropes and negative stereotypes of Black people in our country, that they have a special kind of connection towards criminality, and they reinforce all kinds of unconscious bias in the minds of police officers who have to actually do the duty of policing people stopping people frisking people pulling people over etc right and like and and also even even when it comes to you know situations where they're going to make a snap decision about whether they're going to shoot somebody or not right and it's usually black excuse me and black brown people who are disproportionately more likely to be the victims or the negative uh, or the negatively impacted by these kinds of things including but not limited to being shot killed being 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 maimed, paralyzed, or harmed in some way because of the altercations, being falsely identified, um, and also being put in prison, right? Like that bias in policing, right? And the perhaps unintended consequences that come from that, right? That you're and you're using a, uh, the the statistical data to justify, like all of that works together. And you can't have the one without the other. Um so that's the point that I was making. Uh so until Bro comes back, um 'Cause I don't want to go too far because I'm gonna have to repeat it all. Um, let me try to establish some working definitions and then maybe I can put these in posts for for the viewers because the show must go on. All right. So we got some definitions here. We got people of color. I don't need that defined. Uh systemic racism. Systemic racism emphasizes the involvement of whole systems and often all systems, for example, political, legal, economic, health care, school, and criminal justice systems, including the structures that uphold the systems. Oh, and then we have structural racism that I want to find. So let's see. Systemic and structural racism are forms of racism that pervasively and deeply embed in, in and throughout systems laws written or unwritten policies entrenched practices and established beliefs and attitudes that produce condone and perpetuate widespread unfair treatment of people of color okay so like if you have a culture of policing that leverages fbi statistical data or department of justice data that says that hey look there's some trends by which black people who who tend to live they're disproportionately high to live under conditions of poverty which are correlated with a lot of crimes, including but not limited to violent crimes, are disproportionately or overrepresented in those violent crimes, partly because or partly as a function of the fact that they live under those conditions of poverty. And you're citing that as justification for over-policing those communities. And then as an unintended consequences of that over-policing of those communities, then those Black people are disproportionately more likely to be in prison, to be shot by police officers, etc. right? Like, those are the unintended consequences of a policy that maybe have started off as well intended, right? And the negative disparate outcomes are what is cited as an example of systemic racism or structural yeah. racism. That's what people mean. No, I heard
1: the I heard until the uh point that you're talking about stopping risk and uh unintended consequences at the tail end. Um and, and, yeah. and that's that's my argument is that. The, the fact that you have a group of people who are committing more crimes than another group of people based on their percentage of the population warrants that they will be policed more than the other groups of people who aren't committing as much crime as them. And the fact that you are going to be policed more, because policing is a matter of, of, of priority. So violent crime, for example, takes precedence over nonviolent crime. And so you may not be out there searching for people with weed or nonviolent crime, yet the simple reality that these people are overrepresented in violent crime the people who live in those areas who happen to participate in nonviolent crime are going to be stopped um, searched are going to be the uh unintended consequences or the 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 collateral damage of these uh you know of, of obviously over policing, which is not really over policing. It's just policing, because they're responding to what is warranted. If you are overrepresented in said crime, whatever crime it is, you can't cry about being policed more because you're committing more crimes. So there is an equal like response to the level of crime that is happening in your area. Just like if you have an, an area that has virtually no, I like I live in. Uh, out here in Carmel Monterey more,
0: area. Sorry, right, wait. Are you saying that? Sorry, wouldn't it be more accurate to say that black people are, are are committing a higher percentage of the crimes. That's what you mean by more, right? Yes. A higher yes. percentage, disproportionately. To yeah.
1: Yes, correct. Yeah. Okay. So this is not to say. Just to be okay. clear to everybody, this so is not, not to say that black people are inherently violent. This is also not to say that majority of black people are violent or committing crimes. Period. This is to say, by the statistics, if we're going to argue about police response and sentencing and this, that, and the third, you have to look at what is the likely, what is, what, what is the representation of Black people in a said crime versus white people in a said crime juxtaposed to their percentage of the population. If we're looking at racial impact, I don't even like to do that because I don't think that that's meaningful at all. But if we're going to do it and we're going to say, well, okay, a, a we police... know that Black people, At least precincts
0: do this regularly.
1: Yeah, and and I don't think I, I don't, I don't like to divvy things up by race. But hey, the world's doing it, whatever. But um,
0: no, no. no, But but there's a substantive point that I'm trying to get at, which is that this is actually standard practice, and and the rationale for it and the justification given for it is is precisely the one you're articulating. And what I'm trying to get you to see is the problematic nature of it. Why is it problematic to use that as a justification? For what some people would term over policing of certain communities right when especially if you're not taking into account what they would also term the root causes right like the conditions of poverty and the relationship the intimate inextricable relationship that that has to the propensity to, to committing some of these crimes that we're labeling violent crimes in under these circumstances matters yeah. and yeah exactly that, a, that, that is a bigger hold on wait, that has bigger explanatory weight for why these trends are happening amongst black people who tend disproportionately to live under these conditions as opposed to anything about black people's propensity towards violence. Right. But the black person's propensity towards violence is one of those unintended consequences in terms of manifesting itself as unconscious bias of the people who have to do the policing. Right. And so like what I'm saying is that kind of stuff. Yes. That kind of stuff contributes to unjustified or questionable uh, police shootings or dealings with Black people in these areas, right? Because they're constantly engaging with example after example after example of a Black person who has done X, Y, and Z, and that's cultivating expectations of Black people's behavior. Yeah, so if that was the case, right? In the minds of these police officers. Yeah,
1: if that was the case, then you would actually find a, a greater propensity of police officers killing Black men than you would of black men killing police officers. You don't see that.
0: No, okay? that, no, that does follow. That is a follow. Okay,
1: so so if why, if, why would if you expect white, that? Okay, well you're saying that you know police officers are scared because they they see you know these black men are out here dangerous. They're killing each other. They're they they don't like interactions with police. They've seen the stories of black people dying at the hands of police, and so they're apprehensive and they would probably kill a black man. Is that your argument or not?
0: No, I'm not saying that I'm not saying anything about <laughs> police officers being more or less likely uh to kill black people than black people are to kill police. What I'm saying is that they're more likely to treat any given black person that they are likely to encounter as having a special connection with criminality than they otherwise yeah, would. Were were these biases not reified by the kinds of justifications you're giving? That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't think that police officers are are treating black black people writ large as being more dangerous or being more apprehensive. I think that if you're dealing the that the point in which a black person who ends up in an interaction with a cop ends up being uh you know aggressive, uh resisting, all this stuff. Like just just being aggressive towards the police officer is the point in which the police officer would probably have a greater guard, you know, and in in terms of how they treat them, in terms of worrying about their safety, this, that, and the third. Well, my argument is, though, Jason, is that it is reasonable for us to conclude that Black people who are overrepresented in every category of violent crime, okay, and in, even in other crimes, that they would have more police presence in those areas simply because a lot of the times that police are available anywhere is because there's typically more people calling for help in those areas. And so in order to decrease the response time for those people who are asking for help, you end up with more patrol vehicles who are in those areas to decrease the response times.
0: Not I don't think that explanation makes sense. I don't think that makes any sense. I don't, I don't think that there are, well, I mean, I guess in, in like in general, as a function of there being a higher population in like city areas, you would have more people in a, in a, in a given, in a given what, in a given area for lack of a better term calling for help and that winning, that would justify, I think, having more police available. Um, So it's the concentration of the population more so than a lot of people at like calling the police I, I like i mean i think well well i guess those two go well, hand in hand you're, you're gonna have more people calling the police if you have more if you have a higher concentration of people in a certain area so i guess those go hand in yeah. hand but i think it's a more of a function of population density than it is anything else
1: actually i think it's a greater function of of crime than anything else i mean if, well if, i actually think crime is, a, crime is a violent no, crime. I, think,
0: I think crime generally and violent crime is also a function of higher population density well, okay, which, that is, why you, be true, why, which is why you, which is why the the densest the densest populations ha- have. That's where, like, think about the most crime written places in the in America. They typically have pretty dense populations. Not always, because you have places like St. Louis, which is less dense than places like Chicago, but mm-hmm. like they're they're way more than like you know rural areas. Sure, no, I and agree I don't with I agree with you
1: there, but you have to ask yourself the question. You know, you have a, 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 a you have cities that don't have as much violent crime as other cities. Why is that? Clearly because it's different people with different circumstances and different uh, uh, cultures of people. It, you, you, if, if, if well, City I, I think a there's has, a
0: bunch of different reasons. It's not just if one. If City A has
1: the same population as City B or if City A has a greater population than City B, yet City A has less violent crime than City B, that tells us at least something. It tells us at least...
0: That, give, hey, me a, give me an example of that. I actually don't have one. I'm just
1: cities? giving you a hypothetical. If City A would have a greater population than City B, yet they had less violent crime than City than City B, then that tells us the population is not a causal factor. Now I'm not. I'm conceding the fact. that- No,
0: it that, doesn't. <laughs> it just tells us that it's not the only
1: causal factor. That's what I just said. I'm saying that it at you, least you tells said us it's
0: not a causal factor at all. But like I'm saying, it, what it would tell us is that it's not the only causal factor. No, it actually so tells it, us that it, it's it not consistent with everything. No, if
1: it's a causal factor, consistent then it with what be. you
0: said. No, what if there's multiple causal factors and you take away one of them, right? Like that, like that, you can't really predict or derive an outcome from that because it would depend on how the other causal factors interact okay so
1: jason so what it would tell us I is that it's,
0: it's not the only causal factor it wouldn't tell us that it's not a causal factor at I all i think it
1: tells us that it's it's not i mean the fact that you have a a city that has a greater pop if your are if your thesis is a great uh, uh cities with greater population have greater uh violent crime than cities with lower po- populations if i, I, I find tenancy, you a city
0: but i didn't say universally
1: Okay, so then so
0: what well, I said well, we're in agreement, and that's true. Oh, yeah.
1: So, so <laughs> what I'm saying is that if you have groups of people who are overrepresented in in in, in, in crime or violent crime, it warrants more policing. Do you agree there?
0: Uh, say, say it again. Sorry, I was doing okay. Say it again. Communities yes. that are riddled with violent
1: crime warrant mm-hmm. more policing than communities that are not riddled in violent crime.
0: Um, communities that I have, that have instances of violent crime happening, I think would warrant more law enforcement. Yes. Okay. The reason why I'm wording it slightly differently is because one of the things that I'm going to raise, one of the objections I've been meaning to raise to you is whether or not the statistical data is a function of the fact that these areas are over-policed in the first place, or if it's a matter of the fact that there's more crime happening in those places and how would you know otherwise? Meaning, if you had an if you had an area hypothetically where a, like the same amount of crime as one of these over police cities was happening, but you didn't have the law enforcement there to catch it and document it, then how would you know whether or not there was less crime there?
1: Yeah, because as far as violent crime is concerned, these are calls. So we have nine one one records, nine one one call records, and we juxtapose those also with um, uh, specifically with murder. Uh, with bodies, because these bodies don't just end up. There's there's bodies that, that that are found, and then you have cases that are never solved. You have like violent crime cases that go unsolved. Um, but what we know off the data that we do know is okay. How many murders are happening? How many uh um how many nine one one records are 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 being recorded? How many people are calling for help for specific different categories of violent crime? And off of that, we can, we can know, okay, by race and by region, okay, who's making these calls? Um, what's the frequency of these calls being made on a month-to-month, day-to-day, year-to-year basis? And who are the victims and who are the perpetrators? Okay. These data inform our decisions on, and inform law enforcement on how to better respond in the future to try to act like, um, to basically try and have better outcomes for these people. So for example, if you're a cop and you know that, you know, um, you're, you're a, a precinct and you know that, okay, majority of all the murders that happen out here happen in this particular town. Guess what you're going to do? You guys are going to centralize around that town, okay, to act as a deterrent to the vi- to the violent criminals are running rampant in that town at least as a presence just like when you're driving down the street and you see a cop most people's instant reaction is to put their foot on the brake to slow down because you don't want to get caught speeding the same thing happens with violent criminals when they see law enforcement in the area it acts as a deterrent doesn't stop everyone but it acts at least as a small deterrent to say you know what we got to watch out for this area because we got the ops (laughs) right so that's the thing is that it's not to say that um you know, black people should be policed more. It's just to say that for the vast majority of black people who are completely innocent- Well, that is, wait, sorry.
0: Isn't that what you're saying? That is what you're saying. saying Black people should be policed more because they commit more violent crime.
1: No, 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 no. I I didn't say black people commit more violent crime. I said that black people are overrepresented in violent crime. Yeah,
0: in every category of violent crime. Yes. And that justifies policing those communities. Yes. That's what you said. Yeah, so, so 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 black people should be policed more seems to be a natural consequence of everything you're saying. I don't understand how black
1: you black people who live in areas that are riddled with violent crime should be mm-hmm. policed more. Yes. Okay. Because because so the how, consequence how is that not of the, as- the concept because black people who don't live in places with with violent crime should not be policed. Period. Like. What's the point of policing I, yeah? No, I get, I never, get, I get that, I yeah. get that
0: point. But that's that to me, that's a trivial distinction because because you've already identified the fact that <laughs> in the places where the crimes are happening, the violent crimes are happening, black people are overrepresented. <laughs> in the pla- yeah, so, in the places where so in current, effect, I, yeah. you're saying,
1: well, okay, so it's like this, right? But in effect, like, you're black saying black people, people
0: should be police more in general because black people no, no, are no, 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 in I'm not saying commit. that. Hold on, hold on, no no, where is my wait. mouth. But in effect, you are though because I'm not black people. According to you, are in general. So are black people generally like like more likely to commit violent crimes or not? No, unequivocally no. Then, then how then how are they overrepresented in every cat- statistical category or excuse me every category of violent crime then?
1: Oh, that's that's a, that that's a nuance, but it's a very simple answer to that. It's the fact that the culture surrounding Specifically, black ghettos is what leads to these horrible consequences that we see as it pertains to violent crime. Like I said, black people are not inherently criminal. They're not inherently violent. They're not inherently negative anything. No, I can what see I, that. I'm not, so, I'm not so, so, trying to so saddle you with that.
0: The fact that we
1: have majority but you're, you're, you're of You're
0: generalizing these trends, though. But ch- you can't, check this like, out, though, should... Jason. Majority of people who live in these
1: inner cities are black, okay? That is not to say, that's yeah, totally different from saying majority of black people live in ghettos. That is not true by any stretch, okay? I didn't, so, I didn't yes, attribute that to you. Sure, but that's what people jump to when they say that black people are just over police. They generalize. It's like, no, just the ones that live in the inner cities. Okay? And, and those happen to be the minority of black folks writ large, okay? So black people who live in inner cities are, yes, overrepresented in terms of everyone who lives in inner city, but in terms of all black people, majority of them don't live in inner cities. But the vast majority of black people who do live in inner cities aren't gangsters, they aren't criminal, they're innocent bystanders who are just going by their day-to-day life. And then they're riddled to having to deal with the small minority of criminals who are making their life a living hell. And so they end up paying for the ramifications
0: of that. That's But that's the problem with the argument you're giving is it implicates a bunch of people, black people, who have the same skin color as the people who are actually committing, the minority of black people who are actually committing the violent crimes, which you cited as a justification for over-policing the communities in which these black yeah. people who share their skin color but not their criminal propensities live. Yeah. And those people are are the unintended uh, 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 fallout of these policies. And that's the sense in which this is systemic racism that is manifesting it's itself because it's those not. black people because because wait because dude it implicates black people who are not criminal by your own admission right it doesn't implicate and, them and because yes it does implicate them they, because they share the same identity category as the people that provided the justification for more policing in those areas right they're not criminals so they don't share the same identity profile i know that no they, but yes they do they're black so black is a is a criminal identity no it's just an identity and it's an identity that you use as a justification for over policing black communities that's not what i use black people are overrepresented. yeah i said black people people are overrepresented in every category of violent crime and that justifies policing more police to those areas and what i'm saying is all of the black people that ain't committing crimes that Mm-hmm. live in those areas are implicated in that because they're liable to be seen by a police officer who's doing their policing job mm-hmm. with suspicion because they share the same identity category as the people who are overrepresented in violent crimes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, except for because the fact no that no police
0: officer knows which black person they're looking at. They don't know if they're looking at a violent criminal or they're, if they're looking <laughs> at a regular Joe Schmo black person. They don't know that yet like so that's what i'm saying like they're implicated in all these policies so if you have to like if you have except, if you have except a for something cause called a profile, or right? reasonable suspicion that's but that's what's problematic about it is it's racial profiling that's why no, no, it's no, no, problematic
1: no. no i didn't say racial profiling i just said profiling like in order for you to do effective policing you have to profile Dude, like that's you cannot hard. do but effective yeah, policing without profiling, profiling.
0: But that's part of the the racial.
1: Yeah. If you're a a black criminal, then you should be profiled as a black criminal. What's the point of saying white male or happen to resemble?
0: Hold on. But if you happen to resemble the person or fit the description of the person that they're looking for, then you're liable to get stopped for that reason. Right. Yeah. And if you're white
1: and and the same thing applies. Yeah. Same thing if you're white okay, cool. you what i'm the, saying the is, hold on. is yeah.
0: wait wait you can't wait 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 but just hear me out dude because i've been uh-huh. very fair to your, your point of view i really need you to hear what i'm saying what i'm yeah. saying is that is one example where other people who ain't committing crimes are implicated in this policing policy because they but are liable are to that... fit the description go uh-huh.
1: ahead are you saying that those, pe- li- those other those other black people who live there right you're saying they're mm-hmm. implicated. I'm saying that they're, they're not yes. implicated. I'm saying even the unintended consequences still doesn't mean that it's not warranted. So the simple fact that you got caught, okay, at a greater rate doesn't mean that it is wrong that you got no, caught I'm, in the first place. I'm talking place.
0: about false positives. I'm talking about false oh, positives. Oh, false positives. A lot.
1: Okay. All right. Yes. So for false positives, I condemn all false positives. OK, like obviously nobody okay, wants but, to. Be but that's the
0: way. But that's a But that's a but that's, but that's. But that is a direct consequence of the policy yes. that you are advocating.
1: Yes. But here's the so, reason. So why that's the unintended that. consequence. Uh huh. The reason why I advocate for it, Jason, is because you have to you have to weigh tradeoffs. What would you rather have, Jason? Would you rather have a group of people who are not policed? OK, or who are not policed at the uh, at the same rate? or at a greater rate what would you rather have would you just leave them policed at the same rate as another community that barely has any violent or any v- crime in general or would you rather police them at a greater extent knowing that some of the ramifications of that is that you will end up with some false positives like well, what is the trade-off well, i end up with I some people that you would rather let free are the because they actually options. didn't commit a crime
0: or actually i don't know police more the only two options okay well, I don't know give
1: those me those another alternative
0: options. So, so one, one standard progressive line is that we should, what we should really be doing is we should be focusing on root causes. What are the root causes of the criminal activity in the first place? And if it's the conditions mm-hmm. of poverty, then what we, what we probably want to do is invest a lot of resources in, inc- in improving the conditions of poverty, all right? And part of that would be to address the systemic factors that contribute to those conditions <laughs> of poverty, which is what I've been telling you for like two hours that. So that's one argument that we can say, we can say, look, like you're looking at a leaky roof that is causing a puddle, and you keep mopping up the puddle, but you're not dealing with the original source of the puddle, right? You and so you're, you're going you to have to keep.
1: You remember the source I gave you about Asian Americans in New York City? Okay, you're no. saying the we need to go back to the
0: root causes, right? Of of um, I'm saying that's I'm saying that's an alternative to the alternative, to the, I think, the right? false dichotomy you gave me. Yeah, No, I'm giving i am give you an think... example of a kind of argument that
1: go ahead. I think they do go to the root cause. I think police are di- directly diving in a root cause and that's what they respond to. They're like, okay. No, the root causes
0: are, the wait, wait, wait. what is the root cause of why there's, there's an increase in criminality in inner city areas like South side of Chicago and like places in Baltimore and like Compton and shit. What are the root causes of that? Uh, lack of fatherhood.
1: Is number one, I would say, uh, lack okay. of. Fatherhood. And then, what causes
0: lack of fatherhood? What causes lack of fatherhood specifically in the black communities?
1: Um, lack of fatherhood is caused by several things. One of the th- one of those things is the simple fact that you have black people who are mer- who are uh, having children out of uh, wedlock. You have black men who are not committing to their their wives uh, or their children. You have black be- you have black men who are deciding to and en- you know engage in violent ex- or not just violent activity, just criminal activity in general. Okay, these things lead and to black consequences.
0: That? Why are they why why are they doing that? Why are they why why are black men engaging in criminal activity in these places? Because because of a degradation
1: of uh, the the moral framework in their culture. So, like the video you, you were, we were playing earlier, you know, you have an entire community of people that is that is being that, that that is that is being fashioned in a way that. Hey, in order for us to, to, to get things done or in order for us to really entice people to do things, we have to link these certain things, these elements into it. And you have a situation where the, the culture of black America is turning to a point where the, the utility of having a solid family, the, the experience of shame in these different categories is waning. And when you have the experience of shame being thrown away by the wayside to where people don't see the shame in not taking care of your family, the shame in disrespectful children, the shame in all these different things, you end up in a culture of people that ends up in very bad outcomes, unfortunately.
0: Okay. Do you genuinely believe that the reason why only 9% of the white population is below the line of, uh, poverty line is because white people value their families more? and don't have, and, and have, I guess, uh, the appropriate amount of shame in their culture. No, I
1: don't say, no, I don't think it's the only, like, I don't think it's the only factor. I, I think that is, that is one of the factors as to why the white population, um, has ended up in, in worse outcomes over time. Like, for example, this, the single motherhood rate, you know, and they um, the, the, the fact that other groups of people are climbing into greater wealth and greater asset accumulation than them is because of better structures that these other groups have. Indian Americans, Pakistani Americans, Nigerian Americans, like all these different ethnic groups that are coming into this country have are coming with prerequisites of better family structures and they use that as a leverage to catapult
0: their families into success. And so you can, you can you, start You do realize with... that the divorce rate, you do realize that the, the divorce rate has been growing steadily among all races and yet the poverty rate hasn't been following white people <laughs> right like wouldn't you expect if it was a matter, if it was a function of families not staying together that the increase of the poverty rate would would w- would correspond or correlate to the increase of the divorce rate no so the divorce the divorce
1: rate is not a, is not as good of a metric as the um the, the point at which of, of whether somebody was married or never married um the, the the distinguishing factor here that i'm trying to drive at is the vested interest of both parties if you have one on one example you have two people who are like i'm gonna live my own life you're gonna live yours and then we have this kid in the middle and we'll just do whatever right that's a situation and then you have this other group uh two two people who are like you know what we're going to be completely committed to this child's life you're going to have vastly different outcomes not in every instance, but in most instances, you'll have the best outcomes coming from two, uh, two functional parents who are married, living together, raising their children. Okay. Now, it just so happens that white people, just like how black people are affected through welfare, white people are also affected through welfare. And they, their family structures have actually, um, they have declined at a sharp rate. I mean, you—they you, were at five percent single motherhood, uh, single motherhood, uh, in 1960, and black people were at 25 percent, and then you have black people now at 70 percent, and white people are at 30 percent. So you went from five to 30 percent—that's a huge jump in, in 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 broken families, you know. And so, to me, a, a better factor, or especially when it comes to this uh, policing thing that we're talking about, Jason is you know, what would you rather have? You know, I would rather have police officers responding to places that are riddled with violent crime because they have to respond to calls. That doesn't mean all cops respond to all calls. That just means that the vast majority of cops are going to respond to the vast majority of calls when they're
0: made. <clears throat> and it just so happens... Okay, but the only the only point I've been trying to drive home is that there's a whole bunch of int- intended ripple effects to that kind of policy, which may be well intended. And it, and it seems like it's focused in on the fact that uh, black m- people, particularly black males, have been identified as disproportionately more likely to engage in certain kinds of violent crimes in these areas. So that that's the justification right based on the statistical the available statistical data and all of the ripple effects would mm-hmm. be like the mores and the attitudes and the policies that are actually implemented as a result of that. Um, not only that rationale but like that 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 stated uh, policy aim in policing. And it disproportionately negatively affects Black people as a un, perhaps unintended consequence, but an undeniable consequence nonetheless. And that's an example of systemic racism, su- excuse me, systemic racism that you said didn't exist. That that's what you think people it's are talking racism? about. And it's not just that. That's not wait hold on. It, it, you didn't even touch the thing that I think is even more like difficult to argue against. Yes, I do. I think that's. I think that's. I think that's what people mean when they talk about it. But the other thing you didn't touch was the discrepancies in sentencing. <laughs> For the same crimes so this is at the point where you already have groups of white people groups of black people um, mm-hmm. and those are usually the, the two groups that are compared that have committed one of the same crime but black people are more likely to get harsher sentences for the same crime how do you explain that there, there doesn't um, seem to be a justification for that at all
1: well no so there actually is a justification um for why black people would be sentenced more uh, for okay. some crimes, spe- specifically when it comes to crack cocaine, um, which is what well, the wow. one people usually jump to. So we know for wow. a fact that Black people asked for that. Okay, Look up the 1986 Anti-Drug Abuse Act. This is led by people like Charles Rangel, um, who fought with the Black Congressional Caucus to increase the sentencing for Black people because they didn't want their Black young males like, getting decimated okay, getting destroyed as the leaders in the community. So they went and fought in Congress to have greater sentencing for black people caught with crack cocaine, as opposed to their white counterparts who typically use powder cocaine. And what happened? They got what they asked for. Black people started getting sentenced at a greater rate, not because they were black, but because they actually made it law that if you got with crack, you would end up getting sentenced at a greater extent than someone caught with powder. It just so happened that black people use
0: crack more than white people. Okay, a couple things wrong with what you said. Number one is there's not, there's not a single instance of any representatives of the black community, Jesse Jackson types or anybody else that acts specifically in Congress for harsher sentences for black people specifically when it comes to criminal offenses generally and drug offenses that. in particular. But you did though. No 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 I literally said, just said that, that it was people asked black people act to have to have to have sentencing. harsher sentences for black people that's what Parsher you said harsher
1: sentencing for people caught with crack cocaine who just so happen to be more black people than white people because okay. like I said black people the second thing, thing wrong crack. with what
0: you said the second mm-hmm. thing wrong with what you said is even with respect to that crime black people still get harsher sentences <laughs> they white people. So, there doesn't seem to be a justification. So, like, let's say you're a white person and you get caught with crack, powder crack or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you... What, powder what justification crack? is there for you to get... Because uh, it's law. It's whatever. Codified. You said powder. No, okay, I said, okay, so, why, so black people so use powder. Why, crack, why like, would you, as a white person, not have as harsh a sentence as a black person for that same crime? What justification is there
1: for that? Oh, for the same crime? So, are they using the same thing? Yes.
0: Okay. Same crime, so, yes. Okay, so is it crack cocaine or powder cocaine? Are we talking about the same one? I'm saying I'm saying the same exact crime, dude. Okay, so the same exact show me crime. an example, show me an
1: example of a black person and a white person using crack cocaine, okay? With the same priors, everything is is the same. The only difference is skin color and they got different sentencing. Same behavior in court, same jurisdiction, same judge, same everything, right? Show me that.
0: That's very unlikely, that's way too specific I, I know it's very narrow. unlikely, yeah, but it's unlikely because its because the parameters are so narrow, why do they have to have the same judge <laughs> well, well yeah it's what? it's important right because because oh no, that's making, not important no, no, at all no, no, What?
1: No, no, no. if, if they had different
0: judges, then it wouldn't count
1: no it it's important because if you're gonna lev- level racism right you have a group, you have a person and a judge is an important person in a courtroom, wouldn't you say? Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you have a judge judge... and you, and you say that the judicial system is racist, one of the key people in a courtroom is a judge. And if they're going to make a decision and, and most, some cases aren't even like leveled up to the jury to decide it's up to the judge's discretion. Okay. You get an option. Would you rather be represented by a ju- uh, 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 to, you know a group of peers as a jury, or would you rather present your case directly to the judge? Okay, people have options, and when you have a judge who is reviewing your case and listening to the evidence and looking at your behavior in court, seeing whether or not you have remorse, seeing whether or not you're a prior, and you have like, like all these things matter, and if if you have different judges, okay. With with two different people, you can't say that it, racism was the factor if you're not looking at the same judge, leveling punishment to two different people. You they ha- it has to be a black person the and a white judge, person. The, the same have judge to make
0: their rulings with respect to the same laws, though. So I don't understand why the differences in general. I agree, I agree, the but the racism, racism
1: part, treatment. the racism part is okay. You have a judge and you find a black white person, and the judge says, "Hey, because you're black." Okay, I'm going to give you a greater sentencing, and you're white, you're going to get less sentencing. I am yet. To well, no, see that would example. just
0: be no, that would be racist on the part of the judge. But well, we're talking about the systems. We're talking about the outcomes of the system, right? Okay. And also, so it's not we... so myopic as one particular judge in one particular jurisdiction. We're talking about these things happening at federal level, like nationwide. These are general trends yeah. in the U.S. Yep. So, and I do, I, have, I don't know I have, why you do have to like, leave. It just here feels like, unfair I mean, for you yeah. to. All right, cool. Yeah, i I'll, sure. I'll end with but... this then. Yeah. So there, here's a source I have about uh, racial disparity in sentencing uh, from mm-hmm. the Open Society Foundations. Um, this was, uh, what, written in 2005. So this is a history of racial disparity in criminal justice system in the U.S. and have been has been longstanding. The racial dynamics in sentencing have changed over time or effect the move from explicit racism to more surreptitious manifestations and outcomes. In this publication, the Sentencing Project reviews the research literature of the past 20 years on racial disparity in sentencing, organizing the findings into six... Uh, issue areas. So you have some key findings in terms of direct racial discrimination. There's evidence of direct racial discrimination against minority defendants in sentencing outcomes. Evidence of of direct discrimination at the federal level is more prominent than the state level. Blacks are more likely to be disadvantaged in terms of sentencing length and the federal level, whereas Latinos are more likely to be disadvantaged in terms of decision to incarcerate. At the state level, both Latinos and Blacks are far more likely to be disadvantaged in the decision to incarcerate or not, uh, as opposed to the decision regarding sentence length. Uh, incarceration of race, ethnicity, other offender characteristics, key findings, young black and Latino males tend to be sentenced more severely than comparably situated white males. That's, uh, an example of what I was talking about. Um, employed black males tend to be sentenced more severely than comparably situated white males, excuse me, unemployed black males tend to be sentenced more severely than, uh, comparably situated white males. Um, let's see, interaction, indirect effects of race, ethnicity. I don't care about that. Interaction of race offender victim, interaction of race in this type of crime. So key findings, Latinos and Blacks tend to be sentenced more harshly than whites for lower level crimes, such as drug crimes and property crimes. However, Latinos and Blacks convicted of high level drug offenses also tend to be more harshly sentenced than similar situated whites. Capital punishment. In the vast majority of cases, the race of the victim tends to have an effect on the sentence outcome, with white victims' cases more often resulting in death sentences. Uh, however, in some jurisdictions, notably in the federal system, the race of the defendant also affects sentencing outcomes. With minority defendants are more likely to receive a death sentence than white defendants. Um, mm-hmm. So you only have some jurisdictions where black and brown people, or I guess non-white people, are more likely to receive the death penalty. But there's some in the vast majority of cases, white victims are are uh, are more likely to be uh, get, to receive capital punishment. So that's a discrepancy against white people. All the other ones were favoring white people. Um, so I, I'm reading just the bullet points because you got to go. I was actually going to go and back into the data. I wish I, I wish I had time to do so. Uh, do a part two if you want to, because I don't want to shy away from that. Uh, yeah, but that's the kind of that. thing that people have in mind when they're talking about um, uh, racial discrepancies and sentencing. Um mm-hmm. So there doesn't really seem to be uh, a justification for the general trend whereby black and brown people are more likely to receive harsher penalties um, for the same offenses by comparison to their white counterparts. Um, Even if it's true that black and brown people are overrepresented in in some categories of crime, like when you're comparing a population of black and brown people who committed a crime and the population of white people who committed a crime and been convicted, there doesn't seem to be a justification for discrepancies like that in sentencing. So, like, that's what I was kind of offering to you as a challenge of, of, like, where the justification was. You seem to hone in very myopically on, like, you know, the judge or something, or policy positions that Black people uh, advance, like, like you know, what, like that, what, what ushered in the mass, the, the, the. the the era of mass incarceration in the 1994 crime bill, which was supported by the black community. Those are examples to steel menu somewhat, but that doesn't explain the the, the discrepancies in sentencing writ large across the United, the United States.
1: Yeah, so I'm not here to make an argument about zero discrepancy in a justice system. The justice system is not perfect, all right? Um, and I'm not gonna use that as a crutch for my argument. All I'm saying is that the, the fact that we know for fact that Black people are overrepresented in violent crime across the nation in every category, at least tells us that we should reasonably expect them to be overrepresented based on their percentage of the population, likewise, in prison. It, it, it shouldn't come as a surprise that, oh, well, Black people are clearly overrepresented in all these different crimes, but you know we didn't expect them to be overrepresented in prison. That doesn't make any sense. What we know is that they are overrepresented in prison, but the question people never ask is, well, did they actually commit the crimes that they're being put in prison for, or are they just being unjustly put there? Now, look, if you have evidence to say that, that, that tells us that white people and black people who have the same everything, and the only difference is skin color uh, uh, is, is causing the disparity in sentencing, that is clear evidence of systemic racism, or just racism, period, right? in in the justice system and i will fight with with you against that
0: but but you why know? is what i pointed but, out not clear evidence of that why, why is well, why does it have to well, be so i don't understand why, what why that, does everything except the skin color have to be the same for you to concede this
1: because if it's because if it's if skin color is is um is the only thing that you can see viscerally as the difference and you haven't accounted for all the other things then yeah like, th- that is a poor way of judging a system on whether or not it's racist, you know? Because if you're looking at a system and you just see a disparity between the races and you jump to racism, it's just as silly as looking at disparity between the genders and jumping to sexism being the problem. Like, we know that the no, majority of people in prison are the, men. It's not but sex sexist.
0: Strategy, but but I wanna be clear about what I, my logic. My logic was there doesn't seem to be a justification for discrepancies in sentencing writ large between blacks and whites, once you have a, a population of whites and a population of blacks where, that have both committed the same crime. That's all you need. Right? I, I need all to of see the other that. things that you try to that. account for are extra. Yeah, I haven't well, seen what That's what, what, I'm what this is about. Is- so, I, I mean, I could... I can send this to you if you want me to. (laughs) No, no, no. All right, we can do a part two. We can do a part two. We can do a part
1: two. Right, right, right. Because this says, like, there's evidence of direct racial discrimination against minority defendants in sentencing outcomes. And then it said something about comparable situations. I want to see what those comparable situations are. I want to see clear evidence that Black people and white people are committing the same crimes. They are. They have the same priors. They're in the same jurisdictions. And they have completely different disparities. Like, I want to see that okay cuz even geographical locations have different laws with different sentencing uh, parameters so if you're if you're making if you're cherry picking what you want just to find a massive disparity like people who live in california versus people who live in missouri for example and you take those two demographics and you say well see yeah black people are getting well yeah but where are they living and what are the penalties of where they're living versus the white people who are they being judged against those are those are the kinds of nuances that I'm trying to drive at because the level charge of racism is huge, right? Systemic racism. That means that no, the ma- majority of black people you wouldn't
0: you're not wrong. Yeah, you're not you're not wrong to 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 want to account for like distinctions in jurisdiction uh and and things like that. Um now there's a pretty like substantial literature on this and that has accounted for those kinds of things, but you're not yeah, wrong to so. want to ask those questions because it's 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 the the fact that those things have been accounted for is at least some evidence that those things need to be accounted for. So that's fair. Um, yeah. And I don't have the time to do it today because that's Let's I, do that part two. my next move. Let's do part two. All right. We will do part two. I- uh, so with that, we're going to we're going to we're going to wrap up. Uh, and I was nice to you today. I'm not going to be nice next time <laughs> you get one free. I didn't
1: ask you to be nice to me today.
0: <laughs> uh I don't want to scare you away like I scared Ibrahima. I'm not scared. Yeah. Sorry. Um, all right. Well, uh, go ahead and give your, your goodbyes to my audience, if you wouldn't mind. Cool. Good, sir.
1: Yeah. Um, guys, thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is the Black Muse podcast by Jason. It's a, He's a great guy. Met him on Clubhouse. Um, great conversations. He, he pushes you to think, and I appreciate you, Jason, for uh, putting me on. And having me as your guest, it's been it's been awesome. I love the disagreement. We're always respectful to one another. so that's that's something that I think you know it, it, it's a lesson that should be learned not just on clubhouse, but just throughout the nation. I mean, <laughs> you can have people with completely opposite viewpoints, but as long as you're willing to sit across uh, even virtually and just have a conversation respectfully, that's that's meaningful. you know that's that that helps. So I appreciate you. Um I'll see you on part two. And uh, thanks guys for tuning in.
0: Yeah, appreciate you, man. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and bring you off and then close it up. All right, I'll be there in a second. All right, another episode of the Black News Podcast. We did a deep dive, we're gonna do a part two real soon. Um, I definitely uh, have vehement disagreements with, with bro, but I do like the fact that we can stay uh, respectful even though we disagree vehemently with each other. Um, uh, but yeah, you tune into another episode of the Black News Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Muse, aka the Black Muse, and until next time. Peace.